Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He's caved in online. He's caved in in our hearts. He's Daniel Schriever. What's going on, man? I'm doing well, David. I got so many new ideas for the cave deck. Cave Dan's cave deck. Cave Dan's cave deck. They printed all the good caves after our uh, first... (laughs) Spoiler discussion where you proposed playing a bunch of unplayable cards and then they they, they printed some cards that are actually going to make the, maybe the cave deck a thing. At least in standard, sort of like the maze deck was a thing. Exactly, the gates deck. I've got even more oh, caves to talk about. And because I insist that we start with the cheapest cards first, we get to hit the caves right off the bats. Like We dedicate the most time. We spend like, we lavish extra attention on the caves and then we quickly hustle through like the mythics at the end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How are you doing? Like, oh, this cave uh, scries when it comes into play. Is this broken? I can get three of them into play with my five mana sorcery. I'm well. Spoiler <laughs> season is a wondrous, wondrous time. I love all the standard legal spoilers. This set is awesome, in my opinion. I think that, that um, Wizards of the Coast has actually been, for standard legal sets, on an incredible winning streak. And uh, this, is, this is one of the cooler sets I think they printed in a long time. I agree with you, and I'm now wondering, when was the last time we didn't feel that way? When was the last time we thought, oh, this set doesn't really move me? For me, it was New Capenna. I did not think that was a good set at all. Uh, Hmm. And we ended up not playing very many cards of there. There's very little, like, I don't, there's no resonance. I don't know what word you want to use. I don't know anything about New Capenna. Nobody seems to care about New Capenna. The cards uh, were... There are a few interesting cards, but we we didn't actually like brew a lot of cool decks. Yeah, the the cards themselves don't seem to have like a lot of staying power. We don't seem to be playing very many of them. I mean, I think it basically had the triumphs that weren't called triumphs for some reason. So they had like a huge impact in modern, <laughs> without you know having anything to do with the set. And it's just really hard to remember. Like at least you could just type in triumph and pick the one you want. Now you have to be like, all right, that's the John triumph, but we don't call it that for some reason. <laughs> The Capenna triples. Like, what they- yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that's a quietly just sunk modern. You know, it was already it was already going down, but <laughs> that was the last straw. I guess aftermath didn't really do anything for me either, but that's not exactly a set. But yeah, that, I just fold that into mom. True. But anyway, the the full spoiler is out. So we are going to be trying to finish. We got all the way through the twos that had been spoiled. <laughs> now there are a bunch more zero ones and twos. We don't have to go through the mechanics. True. So we are going to do our best to actually get through the rest of the cards that, in our opinion, matter. At least a little bit. Today. Exactly. That's the plan. If we choose to accept it. <laughs> all business today. Uh, no nonsense. No recitations of Yertle the Turtle this time. Well, at least, who, who knows? <laughs> we'll see. However, uh, before we dive in, just a quick shout out at the top to our newest patrons. They are Sam C. and Ethan M., a couple of returning friendly faces. Uh, Thank you very, very much for your support and welcome back to the Faithless family. A reminder that if you enjoy the program and want to support what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any tier you like. That gets you access to our wonderful Discord community where the brews are popping off. Previews have wrapped up. People have been arguing over the cards, and now we're going to finally start to see these decks coming together. 
Yeah, super exciting time too, where people don't quote unquote know that a card is good or bad. And so these are when the actual ideas happen. I think the format unfortunately starts to calcify very quickly with very few people wanting to try anything new because now they know this card is bad, you shouldn't be playing it, etc. We we are bereft of a lot of brewers and high level play, unfortunately. So this this is the time. This is a chance to make your mark and sort of influence almost the development of entire formats. Precisely. And on that note, <laughs> we got to talk about caves, David. We got to talk about caves. I got many caves I want to talk about today. We'll kick things off right away. Volatile Fault. Yeah, Volatile Fault Land Cave comes into play untapped. Very rare <laughs> for a cave. Taps for a colorless. One mana tap, sacrifice Volatile Fault, destroy target non-basic land and opponent controls. That player may search their library for basic land, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. You create a treasure token. So it's like Demolition Field uh, or the uh, other duplicative effect there, but it costs one less to activate. And instead of getting to fetch your own basic, you get a treasure instead. So I know I mentioned what happens if you pile those up a few times now and you've been skeptical. Part of the difficulty of building that kind of deck is that you have to find room for your own basics, um, which is kind of tricky. Can you do 12 of this effect? I think you can. Can you do a deck that doesn't actually have to play so many basics that still just has this land destruction element? I think you can. Like this, this to me seems actually very, very interesting um, in like numerous angles in Pioneer. We don't have Ghost Quarter in Pioneer, so it's possible that I'm just like overreading how impactful it is to have access to this. But I could imagine just like A, going hard on that strategy, or B, just thinking of this from a totally different angle. Like maybe this is your treasure token for Indomitable Creativity. Um, maybe if you are playing the cave deck, I imagine that most of your caves, you need them to be untapped. And that means they're going to start producing colorless. This is one of a family of untapped caves that produce colorless. So it's almost like a mana fixer in that sense. Well, a treasure is not a land. So, I mean, Lotus Petal is a lot worse than a land. You will get one mana from it for the rest of the game instead of a mana a turn. So if the if the game goes five more turns, you're out four mana. I mean, that's that's something. It gets me the green I need to cast my Cosmium Confluence to get triple the caves. Sure. It absolutely does that. I think the main thing that this does is activate way earlier. The The problem I've always had with your proposed shells are that you're not blowing up a non-basic land until turn three. Mm -hmm. at the absolute earliest and by then you're pretty far behind on board um in this case especially if you're on the plate you could in theory blow up their first land and start the kind of clock as to how many basics they have in their deck now there's a handful of decks that don't care at all about this type of effect right mono white uh, mono green but um against certain decks like the you know urian type of shells this could actually turn into a strip mine like effect quite quickly that's the hope. Yeah. I'm also interested in just playing this in some kind of turtle deck with Blossoming Tortoise, where, yeah, the fact that it activates more or less for free is attractive to me. If there is a caves deck, I'm guessing this will be a big part of it. So we'll, we'll jump down for a second here, because I think the second most important cave for that deck is this cave Forgotten Monument. That's Forgotten Monument Land Cave untapped it taps for colorless it also says other caves you control have tap pay one life add one mana of any color so they get an additional mana confluence ability um, so between forgotten monument and this uh, volatile fault you have access to colored mana if you need it 
Yeah, and you know, on the on the one that blows up non-basics, there's a lot of cards that trigger on caves in play and in graveyards, so you still get they've kind of like planned for that. You still get positive effects for the the cave in the graveyard that you use to, you know, attack their non-basic uh, land. I think Forgotten Monument is like by far the best cave I've seen. It's it's the most intriguing. It does a lot of things. It fixes all your mana. Um if you have two of them, obviously they affect each other. So I don't know why you're calling this the second best one. Which one do you think is better? Oh, the Volatile Fault. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to get rewarded for these. They have to actually do something. The only cave that like plays with that caves and graveyard theme that I can actually imagine myself frequently doing is the Strip Mine Cave. The other caves that do that are the Discovery Caves, but they come into play tapped, which gets into a whole different can of worms. I don't know. There's, there's potential. I understand that this archetype was almost certainly tuned to be a standard power level deck and it doesn't have a ton of backward compatibility. If Cavern of Souls got errata to have the cave archetype or to have the cave type, Ooh. then that would be something else, but I don't think they're going that far yet. It is a cavern though. It is a cavern. Correct. Um, for the cavern dance cavern deck, you can play Cavern of Souls. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to see what you brew. I'm going to build zero cave decks, so <laughs> I'm pretty excited to see uh, what you come up with. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, in that case, are you interested in some enemy-colored creature lands? Yeah, they completed this cycle. These are allied color creature lands, <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, Restless Reef. So it comes into play tap, taps for blue and a black, to a blue and a black, it becomes a 4-4 four, four blue and black shark creature with death touch. Whenever it attacks, target player mills four cards. So four mana for a 4-4 four, four I think is not a great rate. Uh, death touch on a 4-4 four, four is not particularly good, but I do like milling four cards. You can mill yourself, is, is what I'm guessing you'll do most of the time, in a format with Dig Through Time, in a format with Treasure Cruise. Even if you just have random reanimatory type of effects, like the flashback to blue blue, look at your top four cards and then seven mana flashback. Now, these lands are all still just worse than the D&D lands, so I'm thinking they will see very limited play, but th this one seems pretty cool to me. Envisioning that the four cards you mill could be worth half a card, essentially. Drawing half a card. You could certainly build your deck where that is the case. And even if it's just a fraction of a card, I mean, you're still attacking with a 4-4, so it's trading for a fatal push or whatever. What did you think of that cave that contributes two mana towards activating lands? I didn't care for it, as you recall. <laughs> that also comes into play tapped. <laughs> well, sure, but we got spelunking so that we're, we're now untapped. Right. <laughs> No, I know. In your world, we just don't ever have to play interaction. We just can play all these lands that have value, and we're blowing up their non-basic lands. Like, why even have spells? <laughs> why Why is it fine that Triumphs are allowed to come into play tapped, and nobody blinks an eye, right? But as soon as I want to play a cave, everybody ices me. Like, caves are not popular at all. Like, I, I just don't get it. I don't play Triumphs, <laughs> so I, I don't like lands that come into play tapped. That is a huge, huge negative. Uh, the bonus here is that Risen Reef gives you a lot for what it does when it comes into play tapped. And it, you know, does fix your mana. Hmm. All right. So an actual card that you can draw off of a land, Restless Vents, Black Red, Creature Land, enters the battlefield tapped, taps for black or red, one black red until end of turn, Restless Vents becomes two, three, black and red insect with menace. Whenever it attacks, 
You may discard a card if you do draw a card. We call that rummaging. This to me feels pretty good, better than the rest of the cycle in the sense that I, I consider rummaging a real card. Like this doesn't feel that far off from like Castle Lockvoyan to me. Well, you have a very consistent history of comparing looting favorably to drawing. So I strongly agree that you you think that rummaging is better than drawing a card. That all lines up exactly with the, the historical record. It's like a castle lock line that makes them lose life instead of you. <laughs> yeah. It does have to attack. So um, it has to, you know, you don't get to draw automatically. Right, right. No, I mean, obviously it's it's not as clean as that. However, it's a synergy piece and that's also very intriguing. Like how many times have we almost put Fiery Temper into a deck and then you realize that uh, it only works some of the time and it's like the times when you can't enable it is just so bad that you can't possibly put it into the deck. But like here, you'll always have a discard outlet, whether that's for Fiery Tempers, whether that's for your, you know, attracts a reanimation or something. Yeah, the problem is I don't think you want your lands to be doing this kind of thing. So this would only ever be activated on turn four and then is weak to removal. I, I play Fiery Temper. I just think the card is fine. <laughs> play playing this card outlets. You don't have to play this land. I would be stunned if Red Black Midrange or Red Black Sacrifice played any of these. Significantly worse than the options that they currently have. But those are not synergy decks. Like They don't have any need for a discard effect. Right, although they just get to play them naturally on Fable and Blood Tithe Harvester. So, <laughs> hmm. I mean, they're just, okay. they don't have to strap it to a land that comes into play tapped. Okay, so you feel like card flow is just not a problem in black-red because of blood. I don't think in that specific deck, in the synergy decks that you're describing, I think we actually need to play cards that do it. So this would be fine as a one-of or something sure. in one of those decks. But it's also probably the case that in this deck that we're trying to do something slightly unfair in theory, having a come into play tap land is actually an even bigger cost mm. than just trying to play like out our mid-range threats. Mm. Like this helps us if it all goes wrong on turn four, we can attack into their <laughs> possible uh, block to get our loot on. I mean, that may maybe it's worth it. Yeah, I'm guessing you'd have to have like a big payoff, probably a Traxa with some kind of reanimation effect to be like, okay, I just, I just need to make sure that I have a few more things in my deck that guarantee me the discard. And if that's the case, then putting two restless vents in the mana base seems like a fair trade. Yeah. And maybe I'm just thinking of it differently. I think of creature lands as like when it's all gone wrong, it gives you like something to do with your mana. And in that case, I don't know that Restless Vents is that good of a card, but it certainly is a lot more powerful for trying to use it as more of an enabler, which you're describing. Hmm. Okay. Are you ready for another cave, David? I am. <laughs> Tell me about the Echoing Deeps. All right. Echoing Deeps. You may have it enter the battlefield tapped as a copy of any land card in a graveyard, not your graveyard, except it's a cave in addition to its other types. Or you can just have it come into play untapped and tap for a colorless mana. So it can come into play as a restless whatever the hell we were just talking about, if you want. Um, I don't know that you just want to be like copying fetch lands or something. So you need some lands in your graveyard that really pay this off. I don't know what those would be. In Pioneer, we don't really have any. Um, like Lotus Field is, is the best land, but this comes into play as a Lotus Field. So you'd need to still sacrifice your two lands. There's nothing to be like gained there. 
yeah, I was struggling to think of a non-cave synergy where there's a land that's like worth getting back tapped. Lands don't tend to die, and there just aren't that many that are worth like re reanimating or something. However, if this is going to be <laughs> the cave deck, this is a decent option to have. You know, it can become a discovery cave. It can become another copy of that Bojuka Bog cave or another strip mine cave. <laughs> I love how our analogies, our cards are just are way more powerful. The the one that's like a bajuka ball. Well, it actually only exiles three cards. The strip mine. Well, it actually lets them get a basic land, and you actually have to pay mana. <laughs> you get a treasure. Strip mine doesn't give you a treasure. That's true. It doesn't give them a basic land either. <laughs> Interesting card. I feel like this is a card that somebody will find a use for at some point. I don't know that it's like. Like you, to your point, it's an untapped cave. So if there's a caves deck, which it sounds like at least if you're around, there will be one. Um, this will see some play in it, but it seems like there could be some uses for it outside of caves that we aren't thinking of right now. Well, I'm just wondering, will the Spelunking deck include Lotus Fields? Because um, those, those two do synergize. And if that's the case, then that's another way to get the caves into the graveyard without having to pay a million mana to discover off them. I mean, I'll be making a Spelunking deck with Lotus Field. There will not be a single cave involved at all, or maybe like one or two. Do you want Echoing Deeps for that? Probably not. Um, it's interesting, though, like what you think the best cave, like on its own, without any other synergies is. Hmm. Okay. Well, all right, then. I think we finished the land section. Is that correct? Yeah, we've <laughs> spent a lot of time talking about caves. I'm really excited for the cave deck, <laughs> the Cave Dan cave deck. And with that, we go back to the one drops. <laughs> back to the one drops, as has been the trend lately, they just keep pushing how much you're allowed to get at each point on the mana curve. So there's a tons of cards, even at the common and uncommon slots, that we're not going to talk about all of them because some of them still don't quite clear the bar for constructed. And yet, when you look at what they do, they're the most efficient that we've ever seen at that cost. So if you're a member of our Patreon, you get access to the extended show notes where we've got notes on all these cards. We're going to hit the highlights here, the ones that seem most likely to be impactful for Pioneer and Modern. And I believe the first card in that category is Dusk Rose Reliquary. Yeah, single white mana artifact. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature, Ward 2. When it enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature and opponent controls until Duskrow's Reliquary leaves the battlefield. So like an O-ring type effect mm. that only hits artifacts or creatures. It only costs a mana. It does require a sacrifice. And then it has some uh, level of protection. This card seems really good to me. I just want to, I don't think we should ever be playing Oswald. But if you Oswald, sacrifice a land or a Mox Amber, this doesn't have an extra cost. It just comes into play as a cheap exile effect. So I think like aspiring spike had like a mono white Oswald deck mm -hmm. before modern became even a bigger tire fire. This is the kind of card that would be super sweet in there, but we've built a lot of mid range artifact lists with Malkator, etc. cetera. Uh, I mean, this card seems really good to me in that shell. Like you described being way ahead in a couple games and just not having a way to, Get a Shieldred off. Stop Shieldred from winning by itself. This is a card that is on plan. It is tutorable by our uh, Smith, tutorable by the 2-1 Pirate if you wanted to play that as well. It is an artifact that could possibly trigger Malkator, especially in a deck with like Emery, where we have lots of random 
effects bouncing around. Mox Ambers that we don't necessarily need anymore. Malkator that we want to sack because it's legendary. I just feel like you could play a couple of these in that deck and just always have an out to two cards like that, that that you can't beat. That's attractive. I'm concerned that you just can't play this on turn one. So it's not really a one drop. It does let you double spell, but like it's... No, this is not a this is not a one drop. You play like in in the shell I'm describing. You'd still play four P hole. You'd mm. still play one um, glass casket, and you'd play like two dust girls reliquary. I'm also concerned that you know maybe we've just been spoiled lately. But I just expected this card to be like sacrifice something or pay mana, and there's no mana option. Like you always have to sacrifice something. You must sacrifice an artifact or creature unless you're doing exactly the Oswald thing that Dave is describing. So if that's the case, right? I'm trying to picture how many. How many artifacts do I actually have that I don't care about? And I don't really want to lose my Mox Amber. <laughs> like, I, I don't even want to lose my treasure token or my clue token. Um, I'm not convinced that it's going to be so easy to find fodder for this, unless you're specifically building around, like, there's an Acre Wellspring type card in this set. If this is actually an enabler for something, that's different. But I don't know if that's what you're thinking. No, I, I, I think you could build a cool enabler deck, and I, I think we'll probably actually, like, come up with some shells around that. But, like, we have a list that you 4-1'd with, and then I think Robertson 4-1'd with, so like basically 8 2 with, that was playing Malkator, that was playing Emery, and that just had a bunch of other random stuff running around. This yeah. just seems like a natural ad. Like, I will be proposing update to that list that has other cards we're spoiling today, and just two of these. Because all I heard in the chat from you all, oh, I couldn't beat Shielder, it's ridiculous, True. I can't beat Shielder. It's like, you just put two of these in the deck. Okay. And if you if you need a card that can beat Shieldred, then you play it and you don't ever have to cast it. Like it's in your graveyard for Emery to target if you need it. You can sacrifice mm. something else. And if you don't want it, that's okay. I mean, you got you were playing the one mana one one dude that sacks a draw card and can come back from your oh, graveyard. Correct. So you had you had some fodder there. Correct. Okay. If you pee hole a uh, fable token, right, then you sacrifice the, the portable hole, the Dusk Girls Reliquary, free it up to get an Emery. Uh, on the portable hole, use it on something useful. Oh, okay. Now I'm excited. We, you were we were playing for the artifact land. Uh, you like blowing up your own land, so you just sacrifice that to the uh, Dust Girls Relic. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't even getting a treasure when I sacrificed my own lands. <laughs> <laughs> now you're getting a, uh, a one mana terminate. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm on board. I'm sold. Next up, Goblin Tomb Raider. Yeah, so this Tomb Raider does not have a, a busty figure, but is uh, quite powerful nonetheless. So one red for a 1-2 Goblin Pirate. Okay, not that exciting. As long as you control an artifact, Goblin Tomb Raider gets plus one, plus oh, and has haste. So if you have an artifact in play, and there are free artifacts if we really want to build around this, this is a Goblin guy with no drawback. Uh, you have to play some possibly low-powered cards, but Mishra's Bobble is a modern card. I don't know if like Burn would ever want to play that, but it's kind of cool. Also, I want to note that we keep bringing it up, but Breaches is a pirate that wants you to attack with pirates, and this makes a treasure when it would attack if Breaches is in play, and just gets to be naturally 2-2. Now the haste doesn't ever come into play, really, but... Oh, right. So even if you don't have an artifact yet, the turn you play Breaches, attack with your Tomb Raider and your 2-drop pirate, you're definitely getting a treasure. Yes, and then future Tomb Raiders that you play will all get to come into play, in theory, because you still have the treasure in play, attack as two twos, and that will trigger breaches that turn. So you you can maybe get all three of your breaches triggers, just as a for instance. 
All right, so I'm talking myself into this, but I'm worried that just one mana, two power creatures, that's like boomer brain, where I think that's very good. And in truth, that's just not good enough anymore. Is Goblin Guide actually powerful in today's magic? I mean, Burn is still a deck, right? And they play four Goblin Guides, so. Well, but that's modern. I guess I'm thinking more Pioneer. Yeah. I think if if this was just a straight up one red mana two two haste, yeah, that would be definitely good enough. That is not what this so? card is. So okay, yeah, oh yeah, okay. Well, you look at Gitu Lava Runner. It's not like the most powerful card in the deck or anything like that. <laughs> Even Kamano Faces Kakazan, like, there's a, a certain point where those stop being useful because they're just two twos. Yeah, but those are all worse than Goblin Guide. If you had a Goblin Guide with no drawback, that card would be insane. <laughs> Let's not like lose the plot here. <laughs> okay. All right. If you say so. So my pirate deck, which is going to be standard legal, is going to have four of this. Four of the Siren Lookout, four of the Staunch Crewmate, um, maybe four of Captain Storm, some Malcolms, uh, what else? Breaches. I mean, I'm describing a standard deck. I'm just trying to figure out what... <laughs> You're not describing a lot of artifacts is the problem. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well, I guess the only ones are Breaches and the the 1-1 one, one Siren that brings a map. So we do need some more artifacts to make this happen. Yeah, I guess what I'm proposing is I would not play this necessarily in a pirate deck, but I would play it in like a blue-red scissors deck that is already playing a bunch of artifacts natively. Okay. And this is just part of like a generic beatdown plan. I don't think the like quote unquote pirate deck is going to be good enough. Like specifically breaches is really awesome with this, but like playing a one, one flying pirate that makes a uh, map is on a totally different plan than playing a two, two haste. Um, they both, they do wildly different things. Mm. So even though they quote unquote have synergy, um, I, I don't know that they're like on the same plan. Mm. And like, what are you going to do when they kill <laughs> breaches? <laughs> You're just left with all these crappy little pirates. <laughs> It's like play breaches, bolt it. Okay. Uh, attack you with a 1-1 one, one flyer and a 1-2. <laughs> oh, you have a 2-2 two, two blocker? Well, I guess this uh, this game might be... Uh, we might have to settle this in game three. Come on, me arties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in that case, another pirate. Greedy Freebooter. Black. 1-1. One, one, human pirate. When Greedy Freebooter dies, scry one and create a treasure token. Echoes of Shambling Ghast here. So the one one that dies into a treasure and you don't have to choose, right? You're going to get the treasure and the scry. However, you are never going to get that delicious, delicious minus one, minus one that kills an elf. Yeah. And the pirate support in black is actually not very good, right? The good pirates we've seen seem to be red or blue or red and blue. So I don't think this really goes in like a pirate deck. It's reasonable sack fodder. I just think there's so many good sacrifice uh fodder targets right now that this just has to compete with a bunch of them you know there's a red one that exiles two cards and you get to pick one Hmm. um you mentioned shambling gas so i I just think there's this card is is actually pretty good and i think we'd be like super excited to fool around with it if it was a couple years ago but they've like you said they've just been printing so many good one drop fodder cards the next one i think is even better as well um that we're going to talk about True, but I guess this one specifically dies into a treasure, and if you liked that aspect of Shambling Ghast, and you like Deadly Dispute, which I know that's a line that you've described many times, like Ghast into Deadly Dispute, do something impressive the next turn, you now have eight one-drops to do it, there's another Deadly Dispute clone in this set, it doesn't make a treasure, it makes a map, I forget the name of it. 
So it's not quite the same, but if you just like really think that's a really powerful line, you have plenty of ways to do that now just within mono black. I guess that so far has not been a powerful line, but yeah, exactly. So if it, if the thing holding it back was not having enough copies of each of the versions that you can play like six deadly dispute S cards and six Gask S cards. Yeah. And then <laughs> your game's going to be fun. Cause there's going to be a lot of card velocity. I'll tell you that. I don't know if you're going to win. <laughs> Step one, collect shambling gas and deadly disputes. Step two, yeah. question mark. <laughs> but... Step three, sweet, sweet profit. Yes. Well, speaking of gnomes, uh, we got a gnome coming up. It's market gnome. White artifact creature gnome. Zero three. When market gnome dies, you gain one life and draw a card. That's cute. And on top of that, when market gnome is exiled from the battlefield while you're activating a craft ability, you gain one life and you draw a card again. I don't know why I said again. You're not going to do both. So, so no. <laughs> it's either getting died or exiled. For some reason, I thought that that one triggered from the graveyard. Okay, that's a lot worse. Okay, so ignore that part. It's not happening. The first part, though. Dies and you draw a card. Yeah, it's kind of good, right? And it's just an 3 I mean, it's a, it's a fine blocker, which matters in certain matchups. It is an artifact if you're, and we keep saying kind of these same shells, if you're emerying back this card to sacrifice to your uh, one white mana mm. o- O-ring. Um... Even in, like, there's a Doran-like card we're going to talk about. Hopefully we get to the four drops. Uh, <laughs> this card is actually pretty good in that deck. Just as a card that they actually have to kill. It just becomes a Wild Nacatl. And when they kill it, you get to draw a card and gain a life. It just seems like there's a lot going on here. I think this card is actually going to kind of be like a linchpin card in the, in the, in the, set, in the set. Maybe maybe more in standard than Pioneer, but I think it's actually going to see quite a bit of play. It reminds me a little bit of Thraven Inspector. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have two one drops that you've told me we should not talk about, and yet here they are. So, <laughs> uh, Araska Puzzle Door, blue artifact. All it does is has a, has an activated ability. That's pay generic tap sack the puzzle door to look at your top two cards. One goes to the hand, one goes to the graveyard. Two mana total to do this. I understand that I've been burned a million times by artifacts like this, but this seems like sort of okay to me. Even just like as a as a selection spell that you split up the costs, it enables Fatal Push. I was going to say great. It's pretty good with Emery. You're not impressed, I can tell. Well, it just reminds me a little bit of the, um, what was the red artifact? Excuse me. It was, I think it was a colorless artifact, but you could um, cast it from your graveyard for one or red, and it kind of did the same thing. M. Hayashi plays it a bunch. Mishra's Work desk. something. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that card was actual value, right? This card is a little better in the sense that it lets you draw a card, but I just think this is, like, much worse than Mishra's research desk or whatever, and I, didn't, I wasn't impressed with that card. But the research desk really asks you to put a lot of mana into it on your own turn. But this one is instant speed, right? And the card just goes to your hand. So I think it's a totally different play pattern. It's like you invest in this at some point, you crack it later, and you just keep doing that for as many times as you can recur it. Whereas the research desk, you, you really have to be really low curve, sorcery speed. That's your whole turn every time you do that. And this, I think, is very reactive. Yeah, I mean, so basically you get to cast like a consider for two mana. <laughs> two mana split up over, yeah, but it's a permanence. I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in this myself. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess my point is, if you're going to recur Emery multiple times, you should probably be winning that game. If you're telling me I get to always activate Emery multiple times, sure, we could play a lot of different cards. <laughs> this lets you fatal push Shale Dread without having to put a treasure enabler into your deck. You don't have to play my volatile faults to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that's very good. All right, another crappy one that I think uh, is actually kind of good. It's Relic's Roar, Blue Instant. Until end of turn, target artifact or creature becomes a dinosaur artifact with base power toughness 4-3 till the end of the turn. Previous versions of this effect. Either they only make the creature a 3-3, they don't target artifacts, or they cost 2 mana. So the ability to target an artifact is what makes me think that this is actually like almost like a blue shrapnel blast slash giant growth split card. Like I'm picturing a lot of scenarios where you just point this at something like a map token or a treasure token and just, you're just hitting for four and yeah, they could two for one you, but it's just a token. Uh, it seems like kind of versatile and it's like a significant chunk of damage. Yeah. And to your point, it has the sort of secondary effect where you, you know, whatever target your card with a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on it. And you know, it adds four power to your, yeah. I mean, or your, you're one, one pirate that flies, right? Forget the map token. You just need to hit for three more damage. just like a lava spike or you need to win combat with breaches or whatever. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, th- I think that this could find its way into a few decks. I-, I agree with that. All right. Is that it for the one drops? No, we have an actual good one drop to talk about. <laughs> oh, we do. Okay. Take us to <laughs> triumphant chomp. <laughs> Triumphant Chomp, Sorcery. It deals damage to target creature equal to two or the greatest power among dinosaurs you control, whichever is greater. So this card does what I'm always talking about. It is a card that kills Mana Elf on turn one, Mm. kills Thalia, exactly trades with the same mana cost. And then late in the game, it can kill Shieldred. It can kill Adeline. It can kill, you know, I don't know, whatever, Bone Crusher Giant. You just need to have a dinosaur in play with... Uh, three or four or five power and they have been nice enough to print a bunch of dinosaurs with high power so this will often just be a one mana five damage spell in the mid-range game so it'll be incredibly efficient then and it's very good on turn one so uh, i love these kind of modal spells that get better as the game goes on i don't think there'll be a dinosaur deck but if there is i think this card is going to be the best card of the deck so if they kill the dinosaur in response you don't get the damage Correct. I'm sure the spell checks on resolution. I see. Still gets to do two, though. Yeah, that's true. Right, and being being your one-mana removal makes all the difference. So this is the card that will enable dinosaurs to at least pretend to be a thing in Pioneer. Yeah, and there are dinosaurs with Hexproof or Ward we'll hopefully get to as we climb the uh, mana ranks here, but... Mm. Uh, it, it, every time you like have a five power dinosaur in play and you spend a red mana and, and take something out, it's just an insane card for red to have. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, we have a, a one drop that I totally glossed over, but you, you made an interesting note here. So a diamond pickaxe is a red for an equipment. It's indestructible. It also pumps the creature, but you, you had a note here that just being indestructible for a red is actually kind of interesting. Yes. Uh, I really like scissors and I also like a shrapnel blast. This is a red card that is great with scissors and in the late game will be good with shrapnel blast or the, the blue mana instant you just described. Mm. Also, it depends on how you build that deck. It's kind of cool. If you play this on turn one, 
um, or turn two with the uh, the guy that equips for two less. This just gives you the mana back, so it's free, which is kind of interesting. Oh, because it makes a treasure whenever it attacks. Yeah. So, huh. you know, th- there's something there. I, I, you know, I don't know if, there, if we just go blue-red scissors, if that's like worthy of playing. There is another effect that we'll, again, hopefully get to as we climb the, the mana ranks that is sort of like a slightly worse scissors, but now you could play eight of those. The problem was you always kind of felt like you had to play white because of that really cool saga, which is super powerful. Now you don't have to do that. So, yeah, this card just seems very innocuous, but it, it also just like, again, makes a treasure. You can crew up the treasure with uh, <laughs> scissors, too, if, if you had, you know, a couple of scissors. Okay. All right, yeah, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, you know that you can also target it with Gleeful Demolition to make three goblins. Um, yeah, and, and you don't lose this thing, so... Okay. Like, the problem is the indestructible land means you can never scissors attack on turn two. Like, that's the big problem. This is a somewhat on theme. I mean, plus one, plus one for a two-mana equip isn't, like, blowing anybody away, but um, it is something that is not horrific that you could play, make a 5-5. Five, five. They can't kill it, you just win, and then later in the game you can you know, pump up your, you know, one, one unblockable, uh, gingerbread man or whatever. Right. Okay. A little diamond in the rough there to close out the one drops. And we move on to the twos where we have a bunch of new two drops again, starting off with the ancient one. Uh, this is a cool card. Yeah. Blue, black spirit. God, the ancient one can't attack or block unless there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard to send eight. And then two, a blue and a black, draw a card, then discard a card. When you discard a card this way, target player mills cards equal to the discarded card's mana value. So a two mana eight eight is, is even in modern, that's pretty good. <laughs> right. So that's what's got everyone chattering about it, asking about this in Crabvine. I don't see it. I think it's actually smaller than Souls of the, whatever the one we talked about last time. Yep. Eight's not quite as big. And I think when you really dig down into it, it's just easier to grow a big Tarmogoyf. Like it's actually quite, quite difficult to attack or block with this thing. And once they see that you're trying to do that, they'll just bring in any kind of graveyard hate and you'll never do it. Yeah, and the problem with these type of cards too, which we found with that dragon that needed to have eight cards in graveyard, is it doesn't do anything at seven or six. Like you don't get rewarded for going part of the way there like you do with like a delve effect. It's like, okay, I don't get to cast my treasure cruise for one. I have to tap three mana. This either can't attack or block or can, right? It's a very quantized right. <laughs> output. If, if you're at seven, then you, it's like you have zero. So I think the correct approach to Ancient One is to ignore that part, focus on the lower right-hand corner and the upper right-hand corner. <laughs> what do you get from just having an 8-8? Eight, eight? And there's a number of things that you get. Here we're looking mainly at Pioneer, I think. But you found some cool combos. Yeah, the Obnixilus... Uh, Planeswalker lets you sacrifice a creature when it comes into play, and that new token has loyalty equal to the power of the creature sacrifice. So you can ultimate it if you wanted to. Minus seven, target player draws seven cards, loses seven life. So that's insane. Obviously, you can target your opponent <laughs> if you want to do seven of them. You can draw seven cards yourself if you don't mind paying the iron price. Uh, or you could just, if it's a fair game where you don't think they can actually like spend a- cards to kill your planeswalkers, you just can make a ton of devils and gain a bunch of life. Uh, obviously, this worked with fight rigging. It is um, cocoable. You can loot with it. Uh, you know that has some type of uh, uses. You <laughs> you have here a note that you can reduce the cost of that looting. So you can, yeah, you can do training grounds. So I think that fight rigging 
seems the easiest to pull off, but you know, Great Henge, Galta, these make sense. I think the odd mix of this line is actually like going to be super good. Like, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I have just like a Shale Dread in play and you don't kill it, uh, I just lethal you the next turn with this, right? I, I play Ancient One, I play Obnix this, and you die. Mm. If you have Shieldred, yeah. No, that's correct. So, I mean, granted, it's a three-card combo, but it doesn't seem that far-fetched. Like, they would take <laughs> 21 damage from that, and you still have an Obnix list left? You have two Obnix lists left. I mean, you have the other one that comes into play. That can plus or minus as needed. And then the other one doesn't die. It still has one loyalty left, which is crazy. Right, and I think drawing seven yourself, I mean, it's hard to really process how good that is, because that's just not a thing you're allowed to do in Magic, but I think it's going to be quite powerful. I will say I don't like this in Fight Rigging Shells. I think that the extra color is a pain, and mm. because you're going to play Mana Elf in that list anyway, you can already activate Fight Rigging on turn three, so this doesn't actually speed up your clock at all. Hmm, I see. Yeah, all right. And again, there are di- Wait, there's another dinosaur. <laughs> we will get to three mana, I promise. That already gives us another target in the colors we want to play, where we don't have to bend our or anything. But yeah, I, I, when I when I saw this with Omnixels, I thought it was interesting. I didn't even think of the shielded line. So yeah, I mean, maybe that's the way to go. Again, Grixis mana is terrible. <laughs> you are going to be paying a, a lot of extra life, but this is so bad without the Omnixels is a problem. So we'll we'll have to find a way to like mitigate the weakness. That activated ability is actually not that bad. I mean, it's not good, but it's not that bad. If the game is slowed down, if I'm a removal heavy Grixis deck. Um, so that's why I'm even, I mean, I put like <laughs> some asterisks next to this training grounds line, but it doesn't seem that bad of a thing to spend mana on. We'll see. We'll see. Fun card for sure. Yes. Next up, Tithing Blade, one in a black artifact. When it ETBs, each opponent sacrifices a creature. It crafts, but the craft is not useful. So I guess the point here is Trial of Ambition now on an artifact, which I believe is a new effect. Do you think that that's enough of like a draw to make you consider like how you would configure your removal suite in something like a Herald of Anguish deck or the dispute deck? Um, okay, so I have played a lot of Trial of Ambition and that card is terrible. Okay, this is an artifact in play. So that's something... I don't know that I would play, ever play it in a Herald of Ambition or the Herald lists. It is Deadly Disputable, which is actually relevant. It is the uh, the one in a black card you liked in our previous one that just sacks an artifact or creature to draw a card. Mm. The craft with creature is weak, but it is not nothing. So instead of just sitting in play, it, it is just like a mana sink to turn into a clock. Mm. So it, it's a little bit better. I mean, enchantments in general, I think, are more supported just because of there's a whole deck built around enchantments true so in this set we get this trial of ambition there's also a red card that's essentially a bit of a reunion but it's an artifact now i guess we haven't really had to think through like how much we gain by putting those effects on artifacts like metal work colossus comes to mind for either one i'm sure there's more stuff we just have to like spend some time with it yeah, I don't know, like, better or worse is the right way to think about it. I just think this opens up different possibilities. Trial of Ambition sees almost no play, which is correct. The card is bad. This will see also almost no play because it's bad. Mm-hmm. But there are new synergies available to this card, as there were interesting synergies with Trial of Ambition. And if the right set of synergies uh, make themselves apparent, then it's at least worth trying. Okay, next up is a card that I, I think might actually be good enough for Crabvine in the sideboard. <laughs> 
And I've been disappointed by every crab vine card lately, but this, this one, it might work. So this is Whale of the Forgotten, blue-black sorcery. Choose one if there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard. As you cast a spell, you instead choose one or more. So that's Descend 8. So it's three modes. Mode 1, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Mode 2, target opponent discards a card. Mode 3, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand, the rest into your graveyard. If you were listening carefully, none of those effects are worth a card. So, uh, I guess the third one replaces itself. So we really need to have the Descent 8 turned on. But in Crabvine specifically, that will be the case. So... And in the scenario where they open on Leyline of the Void, which is the, the one time where you really wouldn't have this, uh, you can at least balance the Leyline. So for that for that reason, I'm thinking this this might actually be a worthwhile option for the deck in like that generic removal interactive slot. I also like how this does not check on resolution, right? You actually just lock in all three modes upon casting. So that means that if they're going to pop their relic, if they're going to endurance you in response you still get all three modes you get and you do them in order. So you balance the target first and then you can discard it. So it's almost like a vindicate that way. And then on top of that, you get to look at your top three and pick one and fill the graveyard. Almost like a vindicated. They have no cards in their hand. I mean, you don't get to pick a card that they discard. They, they get to choose the card. Ah, correct. Okay. Well, so <laughs> against an empty handed opponent, it's a vindicate plus a, uh, <laughs> correct. Correct. Look at your top three. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think if this is turned on, it's actually quite good, right? It's a super tempo positive play that replaces itself, continues to fill your graveyard. I, I think I didn't even consider it in Crabvine. Of course, I'm not the Crabvine connoisseur. I, I, I think that's maybe the only place that that's yeah, going to see this. You, you can't play this as a normal card ever. No. And if you're, I mean, you like dancing. If you're playing without descent, it has to be to unlock your entire deck. Then you're willing to pay, uh, you know, a little bit of extra mana to just have a bounce effect that when you have all of your, you know, lights turn green, it's very powerful. Yeah. All right, Sahili's Lattice, that's the name of the Bitter Reunion artifact that I mentioned a minute ago. It crafts into a dinosaur for five, but do you see anything here, David, that's an artifact version of Thrill of Possibility? It's kind of interesting because, you know, we were often trying to discard artifacts, and then we were playing that three and a white, get an artifact back into play. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just being another target for that is kind of interesting. I like that it can uh, craft with a dinosaur. So you could get rid of, you know, multiple dinosaurs in your graveyard and make this a zillion zillion power creature and then, I don't know, throw it at them or something. So it almost kind of comes with its own built-in reanimator text. Hmm. Bitter Reunion's ability to grant haste made it a lot better in, you know, like all, all of the shells. But the fact that it's an artifact that has its own other thing happening is, is maybe at least possible. The problem is like dinosaurs aren't really worthy reanimator targets so you wouldn't want to play them unless you're specifically just trying to turn on the lattice and again it doesn't have haste or anything so you'd really need a way to chuck the lattice at them so that you know now we're talking about a lot of moving parts right i think i just mentally blocked out the craft side but you're saying it's a it's a built-in reanimator all in, all in one that also draws you two cards while you're doing it now it's not True reanimation, because all you get on the backside is a star four. You don't get any special effects. So if you're going to put Gishath, Gishath, whatever, in the graveyard, you're not getting all that. You're just getting a um, high power attacker. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's probably just going to die. So you'll really want a way to turn that power into something else immediately. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's good enough, but 
you know, we don't see a lot of bitter reunion in Pioneer period. So it's again, it's sort of like the the black artifact trial of ambition. It does something a little different, so it at least opens up your mind to some possibilities, but those probably just won't be good enough. All right, what's next? Molten Collapse, uh, not that exciting of a card, but basically a power crap dreadbore. So red and a black sorcery. If you descended this turn, you may choose both instead. So you can destroy target creature or planeswalker, or you can destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value one or less. You know, Dreadbore is a playable card. Typically, red, black, mid-range plays one or two in the 75. This could, or obviously will replace it. There aren't that many ways to turn on Descended, but when you do, it's it's better than not. So, it, you know, it will see play, even though a lot of this is going to be flavor text. Non-creature, non-land permanence, mana value one or less. What does that even mean? Tokens? But they can't be creature tokens. Um, I mean, the, the main card I'm thinking of this killing is the green enchantment that, like, uh, like Coco decks sometimes play that lets them draw a card every time you target uh, oh, a effect. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of Oven out of Red Black Sacrifice, which yes, is yes. why Red Black plays the uh, that Saga sideboard to destroy one mana permanence. Uh-huh. Those are the two that come to mind is like cards that people will board in that this might be able to hit. Okay. It hits Portable Hole. If they've Portable Hold mm. your Blood Tithe Harvester. Okay. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. It's like, will it do stuff? Most of the time, it's just Dreadbore, but, you know, the few times that you remind yourself it does the other thing is going to be kind of good. You can also just destroy the one mana value or less. Like, if they're on a, a multiple, you know, against Red Black Sack, sometimes you have to kill the oven, right? And you don't want to play Culligan's Command or something. I mean, this, this does kill oven whenever you want it to. Uh, this is also a card for Modern, where descending is fairly easy to do, and... I think it's almost almost more likely you would play it there for its ability to kill like a relic or underworld cookbook or whatever. And then you also get to kill a creature every now and then. Yeah. Nice little upgrade. All right. Next up. Mephitic draft. So when this enters the battlefield or is put in a graveyard from the battlefield, you draw a card and lose a life. So this is Zicker Wellspring. But it costs one and a black instead of two colorless, and you lose a life every time you draw a card. So we don't have Ecker Wellspring in Pioneer. It would be awesome to have Ecker Wellspring. We don't have it. Losing the life and adding a, a color to the mana cost are huge, huge downsides, unfortunately. So I think this is going to be just a, a miss for me. Well, it's, it's in the right colors for Deadly Dispute and whatever that new one is called, Fanatical Offering, something like that. So it doesn't seem totally out of the question. Like I imagine the deck that it wanted Acre Wellspring was going to be black anyway, right? You get a bunch of ways to sack artifacts now. You get the bargain mechanic, um, craft mechanic. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that actually crafts that we're going to play it in Constructed, is there? Uh, no, I think craft is the limited mechanic. Yeah. But, I mean, we yeah. just talked about that one white Terminate that wants to sacrifice a permanent, and you were describing what if we had a way to get value out of it. If this was a colorless card, that would be, if it didn't cost you life, that would be awesome. Ah, uh, true. True. Okay. Um, next up, a little baby dino that, you know, it didn't look like much, but I actually, I actually think it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, it's Quinth. It's Quinth. It's Quinth. The firstborn of Gishath. Uh, red green legendary dinosaur 
Two, three haste. Uh, when it enters, you may pay two. When you do, target dinosaur you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. So for two mana, it's a two, three. For four mana, it is like a little flame tongue princeling dino. Why does this matter? Well, it's got that bard class friendly mana costs, which I've said about a bunch of things lately. But it's interesting how many of those things have haste. So there's there's also that legend Samut from Aftermath that rewards you whenever you have a haste creature, and that also plays well with Bard class. So now you've got Isquinth, you've got Galia of the Endless Dance, you've got Ruby the Daring Tracker, um, you got Hajar, which does not have haste. But like you got a ton of cards that are Bard class friendly legends with haste, and I feel like the reason the fair Bard class <laughs> doesn't actually work is because the deck just sucks without bard class but if samut can actually fill that role of being the secondary engine um i'm i'm a lot more optimistic for it so samut i think lets the when the creature does combat damage the turn it came into play you draw a card something like that yeah yeah so it it doesn't actually reward haste per se it rewards the effects of haste correct yeah yeah, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I'm not a bard class person. Have you gotten to play with Ruby in bard class at all? Uh, I have not, but it has been five a wing yeah, for four rubies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that seemed like a huge upgrade. So if this is a card that, again, like just adds a little bit more power, a little bit more consistency, then maybe that's all the bard class is needing. If it's if it's five owing on the semi-regular, you know, it's a good sign. It's five owing, but it's still playing four copies of Birgi, which I, I understand that if you're going to do it, you want to go way over the top. But I think Birgi sucks. And I think that that's a sign that the deck is not a real deck because like Bergy only helps you with bard class already in play. And like, that's already, that was a bottleneck to begin with. So I would, I would love to like have another option to like not have to rely on the bard class being there. Yeah. Bergy does, Bergy does suck. That is correct. Up next. All right. Guardian of the great door. Super cool design here. White, white for a four, four flying angel. Wow. It's under, under costed. But wait, there's more. <laughs> As an additional cost to cast this spell, tap four untapped artifacts, creatures, and or lands you control. So you can pay six mana to cast this. You can pay two mana, tap two clues, two maps, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to point out that it does not work with Discover because this has an additional cost. So if you hit this with the Discover or, or a hmm. Bloodbraid Elf or something, you cast this and then it requires this additional cost. So that's not a way to cheat it into play. Uh, I have tried out like Resurrection of Iganjo with Archfiend's Vessel. You could do this as like a five through eight type of thing. It's just kind of slow. Like a turn four, 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 turn four, five, five flying just isn't that far ahead of the curve. And yeah, you get a few extra mana that turn and things like that, but you're not threatening enough. I do like this with Other Vile. Um, I do like it as a, a possible Coco hit. Uh, maybe even just in angels, maybe in just more of like a white green, like beat down shell. Hmm. So the, the restoration of Iganjo gets this back into play on what turn turn four turn four. All right. Yeah. And vessel, it actually is way better because it gets a five, five and it's untapped. The, the vessel comes into play tapped, oh. but the demon comes into play untapped. This comes into play tapped on turn four. Yes, we talked about Helping Hand last time. That's the white unearth. And then just, it's not a new effect at all. And yet I think we rattled off like three or four different deck concepts already for that. So weirdly, that's like one of the more exciting cards. And this is another card that works with that. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Other Vile is the best way to use this. It's just like you're so far ahead of the curve if you get to flash this in uh, on EOT, but... Well, 
but that's not a pioneer card. So that no. <laughs> we, we're at the point now where it'll be totally safe in pioneer. I think it'd be interesting. I would love to see that, but it's not going to happen. Not as currently templated. Next up, glimpse the core one in a green sorcery. Choose one, search your library for a basic forest card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle or return target cave card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So it's rampant growth, but it only gets basic forests or it's some commander card that gets back a land. I forget the name of it. We've been talking for a long time about how rampant growth doesn't exist in standard or pioneer. And I always understood when we had those conversations that we liked the effect, but I, I'm guessing that you actually don't think this is powerful based on your comments. <laughs> no, well, it only gets a basic forest, so you don't ever want to play it in a multicolored deck. <laughs> like carry added fixes and blocks. This doesn't do either of those things. The fact that it can't fix is a huge negative. And basic forest, again, is really tough. How many basic forests do you want to play in any deck? Like you're going to play four glimpse the core that suggests you want to play like four or five basic forests. So only mono green wants to do that and they don't want this card. So. So I'm going to be playing my strip mine cave and I'm going to be, I haven't drawn my mana confluence cave yet. So I need to like strip mine a land, get my treasure, use the treasure to cast glimpse the core to get my basic forest, which I only play one of. And now I cast my cosmium confluence. I'm ready to, you know, top 16, my next standard local. <laughs> <laughs> so even that shell, you're talking about playing one basic. So how many glimpse the cores are you going to play? I guess in that deck, you can get your caves back from the graveyard tapped for some reason. Okay. I Although mean, I guess it can be untapped if you've got your <laughs> spelunking in play. So I, I think Nature's Lore is a very good card, but I guess that's not tapped. I also just think it's not fair to compare Rampant Growth to Curated. Those are just totally different things. This is not Rampant Growth. <laughs> so I agree. No one's comparing anything to Rampant Growth. <laughs> yeah. Getting Basic Forest is really bad. That's just not how I play this game called life. <laughs> I don't want to fetch up Basic Forest. I have a forest in play. I just cast Glimpse the Core. Although in your example, I guess you only have a treasure in place, so you desperately need the forest, but. <laughs> All right, next up is Fanatical Offering. This is the Deadly Dispute, but instead of making a treasure, it makes a map. Any additional comments on this, David? Map, much worse than treasure. Um, you know, you talked about playing multiple of that legendary black artifact in Red Black Sack. I, mm -hmm. I haven't seen any Red Black Sack players talking about playing any of them. They were talking about playing more of these effects if they wanted like a fifth or sixth Deadly Dispute. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how good the map token is. They There aren't a lot of bodies in that deck that they'd want to stitch this plus one plus one counter to. So, yeah, I, I'm guessing this card ends up maybe just being like a one of in Red Black Sack if they just want like a little bit more density to that effect. Mm. Agreed. All right, on to the Fabrication Foundry. One in a white artifact. Taps to add a white mana. That mana can only be spent to cast an artifact spell or activate an ability of an artifact source. Two in a white, tap. Exile one or more other artifacts you control with total mana value X to return target artifact card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate as a sorcery. So that's not quite crafting because this is only going to exile things that are already in play. Um, it reanimates one artifact from your graveyard sorcery speed. That's quite interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, the uh, two-mana mana rock is actually always going to be somewhat of interest in Pioneer because they're so rare. We were trying to get excited about a card that fetched basic forest uh, <laughs> a moment ago. <laughs> so the mana, the mana in Pioneer is a lot more interesting. In 
modern, you get to play all these cards with affinity. So you can get seven drops into play very cheaply, often for no mana. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this can turn that into something else. Now, I don't know what this seven drop is that you'd want, but you could sacrifice a seven drop and something else and get a nine drop. I mean, we do, again, we always have to do these <laughs> scryfall searches for artifacts that cost a certain amount of mana. How are they getting into your graveyard? Are you just using this to like loop, um, you know, like the the six and a blue affinity two two that draws two cards, right? And then it dies when you crew it up, goes to your graveyard. Then you sack a different card. You bring the other one to play, draw two. Is it just used as a value card like that? Is it not even close to good enough? You know, I I don't know about that, but it seems like it's interesting. I'm, I'm guessing it probably won't be good enough. Also, this card just gets colded by Karn in <laughs> whichever format you choose to play where Karn is legal. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that it, it's more pioneer speed because even in modern looping felt monitors, it's just not worth a three mana. I'm guessing in pioneer, I'm thinking metalwork colossus. I'm not quite sure what happens after the metalwork colossus, but this does contribute three to it. The metalwork colossus becomes the fodder for whatever the other thing is you're getting back. Yeah, and you know, you know, I've always struggled with the artifact payoff to be good enough. Right? There's the artifact yeah. that sacrifices or makes target player sacrifice three creatures. Oh yeah. Obviously there's the 8-8 trample that turns things into power stones when it or power whatever is when it attacks and is cast. Correct. Yeah, cityscape leveler. Um so those are kind of the two like big artifact payoffs these days. Yeah, getting those things into the graveyard. It is tricky, it's tricky. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. Maybe the mana rock half is just the most important part. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. I mean it's kind of cool you can play it and portable hole the same turn. Yeah, true. Like very, very efficient. Or market gnome. There you go. Or market gnome, exactly. <laughs> market gnome does not actually draw a card when you exile it to this uh, foundry, just so we're clear. Oh, gosh. All right, what's next? What's next? Um, Clay-fired bricks. Artifact one a white. When clay-fired bricks enters the battlefield, search your library for a planes card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. You gain two life. Very reminiscent to me of there's a 1-1 uh, creature that was seeing a ton of play in Standard. Uh, it's just one in a white, 1-1, one, one, search your library for a basic uh, planes. Hmm. And then I think if you have three different powers, you can pay like three mana and flip it into a 3-3 three, three lifelink. So this is very similar to that, a two mana card that finds the planes. It gives you two life instead of a 1-1. One, one. I don't know which is better. A little harder to get this, but you have to craft with an artifact, so seven mana. And when this, when it flips into the craft, you create two one-one colorless gnome artifact creatures, and you get a. Um, I get we don't say crusade effects anymore, I guess, but you, all your creatures get plus one plus one. <laughs> Seven mana, oof. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I thought the comparison was going to be Birth of Militus, because um, that's like another pseudo do nothing, two life, get a planes for one and a white, but you also get an O four out of that. I thought Birth of Meltis is just like so much better. Although I guess the fact that it's no longer there when you're ready to do your Yorian thing is kind of annoying. And this this will be there. Um, this will just stick around for whatever you're trying to do. But man, it's just such a weak play, right? Like I can't imagine being happy spending two mana on this. Yeah, I mean, I never like the uh, the two mana one one that gets a planes either. I mean, I saw I saw a ton of play, but that's just more of a comment on like standard being weird. Mm. Ambitious farm farmhand. Definitely. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So yeah, I think this is worse than Ambitious Farmhand, and Ambitious Farmhand is not a Pioneer playable card, so. 
Next up, Bitter Triumph. Best Doomblade? Question mark. One in a black instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. However, as an additional cost to play Bitter Triumph, you have to discard a card or pay three life. Um, and those are two very, very different costs. If you're paying three life, it reminds me a little bit of Ulcerate or perhaps Snuff Out. If you're discarding a card, that's like a synergy piece now. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, so I think you can do this in three different ways. You can play it in a deck that is gaining a bunch of life or wants to lose life. Mm. Is just a generic mid-range deck that wants efficient removal that's always turned on. Or you can play in a deck that wants to discard for one reason or another. And the fact that it trades so efficiently is really interesting. Okay. Um, if you had to pick one of those three, I feel like the discard outlet's the only one that seems plausible to me. I think in all of those scenarios, the three life is just too costly. Yeah, I mean, the, the life matters against, like, two or three decks. And maybe against those decks, you just discard your Thoughtseize or whatever, where it isn't good. Mm. But yeah, I mean, my, my instinct is always like, can we play this with reanimate effects? Can we play this with, um, you know, Riel or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so you're thinking this, this could just be, like, your main deck option. When you need to kill things, you... You better triumph. Yeah, I think this isn't a card you can play a bunch of, but you know, you see these black green, black red, etc. lists, and maybe black red because the dreadbore upgrade is is maybe interesting. They're not as in, but you see a lot of like black green mid-range lists or whatever. This might become just like a one-of, right? It's just a very cheap way to kill planeswalkers. Abrupt mm -hmm. decay does not hit four mana planeswalkers. We don't see a lot of four mana planeswalkers, of course. But like this kills Karn, no questions asked. This kills the the five six. This kills Lanamore I mean, it just kills everything, so. Oh, that's true. I, I guess I didn't really process that killing the Planeswalker puts it in a much narrower category of removal. Like, Shaeldred's Edict, I guess, is the closest, and that's not quite the same. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. But Shaeldred's Edict is very good, so maybe that, like, almost prices this out. Like, the times when this is better than Edict is, is rare enough that you just don't want to do the <laughs> pay the life when that's really bad or discard a card. <laughs> All right, another archetype that's being pushed in standard is the dinosaur deck, and you have a new two-drop belligerent yearling, one and a red, three-two trample dinosaur. Whenever another dinosaur enters the battlefield under your control, you may have belligerent yearling's base power become equal to that creature's power until end of turn. It retains trample, so if you play this on two, you follow up with whatever your biggest dinosaur is. It could have four power, it could have six power, um, it could be even bigger than that. Your yearling is going to hit for a just a truckload of damage. And as a Eldrazi Mimic caster myself, I, I respect this effect. I, I'm a little concerned that the toughness stays at two. So it's not going to be quite as much of a problem as Mimic was. Um, but the trample, I mean, the trample is very attractive. Yeah, I mean, this is priced to move. I think, you know, unfortunately in Pioneer to die to Stomp, we don't play two drops that die to Stomp without a huge upside. Yes, you can play this into the Three mana, seven, six, a uh, zombie dinosaur. You can play this into the new six, six. We're going to be getting too soon, almost to the three drops. Um, in standard, it dies to cut down. I mean, removal is just so good. This, this card just does not line up well against a commonly played removal suite. Mm. Cannot attack into Thalia. So you have a card that's bad against a mid-range deck and is bad against the aggro deck. 
And then the other aggro-ish decks all play red, and they all have one mana interaction. Maybe they don't play Stomp, but they they just very easy to get rid of Yearling. So, mm. yeah, I, I just think this is a super cool card. I love the art. I love the vibe of like the little <laughs> the little dinosaur that's like roaring, you know, like Simba, right? When he's trying that's to right. show off his roar. Um, and you can imagine the curve that they're imagining. You, know, you get to attack for seven trample on turn three, and it's just like it's just not going to happen ever. So uh, it's 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 a miss, despite the card being super cool. Yeah, I've been disappointed so many times when I, I make my Eldrazi Mimic a 4-4 or a 5-5. I hit, it gets chump blocked, and I'm like, oh damn, I didn't get any damage through. However, I still have my Mimic in play because it got 4 or 5 toughness. Right. <laughs> I got to attack, no questions asked, and that's just a very different play pattern than the Yearling. Um, okay, well I think we finished the twos. We can go on to the long-promised land of the threes. All right, Sentinel of the Nameless City. Two and a green for a 3-4 Vigilance. We used to be excited about that. Now it needs a bunch of other abilities to even be considered possibly playable. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, so another little mini Titan, create a map token. So this is sort of reminiscent of a Tireless Tracker, but for maps, if you want to think of it that way. Obviously much sturdier in the uh, the butt. The, uh, it's, it's been hitting leg day. Mm-hmm. Maps are worse than clues. How much worse? We don't know. It does get it on coming to play. So it kind of reminds me of the 2-3 creature that makes a treasure, or excuse me, makes a clue when it comes into play and it gets plus 2 plus 0 as long as you have a token. So it's functionally a 3-mana 4-3 that makes a clue. I've actually been liking that more than Tireless Tracker. Uh, and I, I tried it. We've, we've talked about this before. Yeah. So... This card is super cool. I think in standards long gone, it would be amazing. But I, I, I don't know if this will even see much play in standard. I, I, I just think this card is a little too medium. It's the kind of card that we <laughs> love to play. <laughs> Tons of manipulation of your library. And you, can, you have all these choices. 3-4 Vigilance. You can like block and attack. But I think it just gets outsized or, or you know, decks go under, over, or around it, I think, in general these days. So you'll notice that we've we've skipped talking about some of the Explorer-themed cards. That is the Merfolk mechanic. Um, there's an enchantment that costs one that supports it. There's a two-drop legend that supports it. So, And then, of course, there's that 1-1 uh, one, one for a green that we talked about last week. If you think that's a deck, this is the card you need on three because it's a continuous source of maps, continuous source of exploring. But that's a standard deck. It doesn't really gain anything. There's no good Explorer cards from the first trip to Ixalan, which is a little bit troubling. We have the one three that gets three life and a plus one plus one counter whenever you explore. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I guess if you just, if you want your Abzan Amalia Benavides deck with wild growth Walker, then you do need to trigger that, um, that first explorer to make that happen. And this is like a plausible card that does it. You're not compromising too much. It's cocoa bull. So yeah, why not? Um, but not an exciting card. No. This is the milk toast suburban <laughs> missionary position with the lights off, mom and pop, apple pie. Like, come on. All right. Scythe Claw Raptor. Two and a red dinosaur. Still in the dinosaur vibe here. Whenever a player casts a spell, if it's not their turn, Scythe Claw Raptor deals four damage to them. So that's kind of interesting. You play it on your turn. Maybe your opponent has to eat some mana because they don't want to kill it then. And then they kill it on their turn. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe maybe you ate a few mana is kind of the best case scenario, it feels like. 
it makes it very clear that you better respond. Whatever you're going to do, you got to do it now with this on the stack. But I don't think that's the, enough of a benefit. I doubt that you're going to catch them with a bunch of counter spells in their hand. That just seems unlikely to me. So uh, I think this is just like not quite there. Yeah, it's like you're going to catch them with a bunch of counter spells in their hand, but they aren't going to spend it on the Raptor. So, you know, it, it imagines a scenario that's very strange. It is probably very good against spirits specifically in Pioneer. Mm. But. I mean, there's a lot of cards that are specifically very good against spirits, so. <laughs> Next up, Kutzizel's Flinker. Two and a white cat warrior. Three one flesh. When it enters, choose one. Either put a plus one plus one counter on Kutzizel's Flinker for each creature that left the battlefield under your control this turn. Or you gain two life and scry two. Or you exile target player's graveyard. Hmm. It's a lot of text. I'm not seeing a lot that I like personally. I mean, I of course historically love these modal cards because I love possibilities. It doesn't do any of these things particularly well, but obviously great against Wrath decks. Is it though? Yeah, flash it on. It's like having another Coco when they half the Wrath, and then you've got mana up. But it's just one card, though. It's not card advantage. It just becomes you know a six power creature that you flashed in. Is that enough? <laughs> What the hell? Three mana flash, six power is pretty good, I think. Well, they'll just clean it up next turn, though. Like, you're, you're not actually... After taking six. <laughs> six is not, is not lethal. Also worth noting, it works very well with Urian. Because uh, the creatures leave play when it blinks, when it comes back at the end of turn. So just as a value play. It does exile graveyard, so it's very good against blue red phoenix. Hmm. Uh, you can gain two life and scry two. That's okay against the like red decks. You know, then it trades with um, whatever out of mono white. I don't know if it's main deckable. I'm always envisioning these sort of like value green, white, Selesnia, <laughs> Coco decks. And that tends to not be what people are doing. So <laughs> in the deck in my mind, this is a kind of card I would play much more so than the thing that's making maps. Yeah. There was some like green, white fauna shaman coco deck that Claudio was messing with a while back. And the fact that this is flash means you, as long as you have four mana and fauna shaman up, you're protected from any number of phoenixes. But I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we move on to Corpses of the Lost. The night the skeletons came to life. It's two and a black enchantment. Skeletons you control get plus one, plus oh, and have haste. And when Corpses of the Lost enters the battlefield, you create a 2-2 black skeleton pirate creature token. So right there, you're getting a 3-2 haste skeleton pirate for the low cost of two and a black. And all your skeletons in the future, in the present, are plus one, plus one haste. That is actually quite powerful. Um, and on top of all that, you get more. You get more. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, you may pay one life if you do return Corpses of the Lost to its owner's hand. So I originally misread this. I thought for some reason it had to be in your graveyard, uh, which seemed insane to me. I was like, so every time you loot it, automatically you have Descend, so you just get this back. But that, you know, it has to be in play. <laughs> I don't know why I misread it like that, but. Interesting. Okay, so you're just getting the option to just re recast for more skeletons. Yes. Uh, have you have you done a skeleton search yet? I have not. Um, I have. There aren't any good ones. What, the best skeleton by far. The deck. All I want to do with this is turn three. This turn four tortoise, which will trigger 
uh, Descended, almost certainly. You can buy this back or not. And the best skeleton is Mutavault, crewed up for free by the turtle, which would attack as a 4-3 with corpses of the lost in play. So you just have this incredible mid-range like grind that no like red-black cannot compete with. You're just playing multiple 3-2 skeletons a turn. Uh, you just get to attack with your Mutavaults over and over again as like huge powered attackers. Eventually you'll hit a second corpses of the lost. Um that, that's all I want to do with this card. It just seems so interesting to me. Just play like a black-green interaction deck, but your engine is this Corpses of the Lost, which is super hard for other decks to interact with. And it's a, like a real clock. So Boss Mentor does brings the Mutavolt back tapped, so you're not attacking that turn. But No. Any untapped Mutavolt immediately becomes four power, three toughness, zero to activate, with haste. On top of the Corpses, providing more 3-2 hastes. That's interesting. That's if you don't have another corpse ever, right? Like, you can also choose. Like, you play Corpse of the Lost, you play Tortoise. If you have another Corpse of the Lost in your hand, you just don't blink the other one because you're going to cast the one the next turn and attack with a tur- like against Lotus Field or something. The other skeletons, there's like a couple of 2 1 skeletons that can come back under certain circumstances. There's a Bone Dragon that's a 5 4 flying. Hmm. Uh, you can exile eight cards from your graveyard. And put it back into play tapped. There's like a reconstructing skeleton. It's like one in a black. Put it into play tapped from your graveyard. Yeah, coming into play tapped is really a, a bummer with these. Yeah. <laughs> with the yes. Looking yes. at gutter bones, looking at cult conscript. These all come into play tapped. What the yeah. heck, man? There's a four mana 3-3 three, three that does a damage anywhere you want. So like a hill giant that does <laughs> snip someone in the face for one for some reason. So I don't think you want to build like skeleton tribal. I think as long as you can activate um, the descend ability on a semi-frequent basis. Four turtles is not enough, but I've already constructed a list that has enough uh, ways to do it, I think. You just win the long game. You know, your opponent can't do anything about it. It also triggers push on end of turn if that really matters to you. You just, like, blink your corpse back, and then in your end step, you push their shield rid or whatever. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Although, I guess if you descended, you probably had push anyway. Um what about uh you want flame skull flying haste do you want um i guess there's no good change things to play in here yeah i mean to me it's more about triggering the descended yeah which is not easy to do so that's yeah. where tortoise comes in is it kind of helps us find our skeletons the best skeleton in my opinion is beautiful yeah. Yeah. and it also triggers in theory descended without having to trigger push necessarily um so yeah, I've already got that deck built. I'm really excited to fool around with it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Next up is a card that I missed. It's Zoetic Glyph 2 and a blue enchantment aura. Enchant Artifact. Enchant Artifact is a golem creature with base power toughness 5-4 in addition to its other types. When the Zoetic Glyph is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you discover 3. Discover is the fixed cascade, which means if you can't cast it off cascade, you get to draw a card. Well, you get to put it in your hand. Yeah, draw the card, I should say. Yeah. yeah, so this is actually, I think, quite good. So it's it's worse than scissors, but you can only play four of those scissors. This is a lot better than the 1-3 that makes an artifact five power, I think. And the Discover really? 3 is actually very relevant because there's a lot of cards in that deck that might need to have an artifact in play. Like, let's say you're playing um, mm. the Sacrifice Artifact do five damage. Let's say you're playing an, another Zoetic gl- Glyph and there aren't, isn't an artifact in play. You don't get punished in those scenarios. Like, if your opponent 
you know, farewells and exiles all artifacts. Hmm. You, you just get to draw the, the five damage spell, right? And you play an artifact next turn and kill them. Well, this does not get other copies of itself, does it? It's three or it's less than three, or is it three or less? No, discover three. Three, you mill your library into see a card of three or less, and then you cast it for free or put it in your hand. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. It's confusing with Cascade's template. Yeah, exactly. Cascade kind of, we just in our mind are like, oh, it's less than. I, I've had yeah, to yeah. actually reread a few cards the way that <laughs> the discover is priced. A lot of cards can actually hit themselves. Interesting. Hmm. All right. Uh, next up, oh, we're back to the caves deck. Finally, back on track with <laughs> Cave Dance Cave Deck. The Bat Colony, the Bat Cave, two and a white enchantment. When Bat Colony enters the battlefield, create a 1 1 bat creature token with flying for each mana from a cave spent to cast it. So that's probably going to be a maximum of three bats, assuming you tapped three caves. On top of that, whenever a cave enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So for three, I'm getting three bats. I'm getting the possibility of distributing counters the rest of the game. Yeah, this is the first card that actually made me excited to play a caves deck. Spectral Procession is way above the curve for what they let us get now. I mean, look at how terrible wedding announcement is and people put in their deck. And then this pump stuff. Every time we play a cave for the rest of the game, we get a plus one, plus one counter. And all our creatures have flying. Like, this makes three flyers. This card is insane to me. I will play terrible caves if it means I get to play Spectral Procession. Gosh. I don't... I mean, I just envisioned the caves deck as being, like, a very mid-range ramp. And then I I was going to use that 5-5 lifelink thing. But not not this. (laughs) Wait, that works with Up the Beanstalk. I'm yeah, telling that's you, that's true. the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if, if we, if you can find a way to not harm yourself too much in your creation, of your mana base and cast this consistently for three mana, this card is absolutely insane. Spectral procession is way better than wedding announcement. That Those cards are not even close to each other. So that that's the start with that. You don't have to play white, white, white either. You have to play caves, <laughs> which according to Dan are great. So maybe you get to play caves. Maybe I'm even thinking of it wrong. I get that this is better than Spectral Procession. You could play in addition to the Leech, the five, I forget what it's called, Gargantuan Leech. It's the last card in our notes for today. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you could put the plus one, plus one counters onto the Leech to like gain more life. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about this one myself, but. <laughs> so the, the best card for games actually wins the game. Dan's not interested, but if you can do random move cards from random zones, then those are the cave cards. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Precisely. Also, not good to uh, discover into this uh, if you're sacking all your caves to discover, just so we're clear. <laughs> all right, next up is a, a very tricky little Rapple Master variant. Seems quite powerful. Let's talk about Anim Pakal, Thousandth Moon. Yeah, so she is a legendary creature, human soldier. Whenever you attack with one or more non-gnome creatures, put a plus one, plus one counter on a Nimpakal. Then create X, one, one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens that are tapped and attacking, where X is the number of plus one, plus one counters on a Nimpakal. So the baseline is you have a random two drop in play. You play a Nimpakal, you attack with your two drop, assuming it's not a gnome. You get to make a 1-1 tapped colorless artifact gnome. So similar to Adeline in that case, although you're not making a human. So I think it's just worse than Adeline. But 
There are decks that care about putting plus one, plus one counters on your three drops that are playing red-white. And that actually kind of rewards you for going wide. I've, I've actually highlighted a uh, 5-0 list here, Dan, if you want to <laughs> take a look. <laughs> what <Yes>. happened there? <laughs> a 5-0 that's never been seen before by Cave Dan with Shatterskull Chargers and Invasion of Gobicons. And Luminarch Aspirants. And Invasion of Gobicon is incredible when you go wide with all the gnomes because they all get pumped up. Um... This deck was also playing Voldar and Thrillseeker. So you could play uh, this gal on three. Maybe she's getting pumped. Maybe she isn't. She goes to two power. The next turn you play Voldar and Thrillseeker, you make her power four, and then you make her power five with her trigger. You make four 1-1 one, one gnomes. You, whatever, kill your, the invasion of Gobicon, which flips and pumps all the surviving gnomes and your uh, gal with a plus one, plus one counter, etc. So I don't know if you play more than like a one in this deck, but it's it's at least worth thinking about. It's it's a very interesting card in the kind of shell that already exists. So you compared it unfavorably to Adeline, but but doesn't this just make a crap ton of tokens? Like it's so many tokens, it scales so fast. That's just by itself. If you juice it at all, if you jump the curve by doing any kind of bonus plus one plus one counters, like you just get so many domes. Like one the first turn, two the second turn is the baseline, then three, then four. But if you if you start it off with a counter, it's two the first turn, right? That's insane. Well, you have to start off with a counter that's very hard for Adeline and specifically in humans. I think this isn't even close. You have to add a second color. It dies to stomp the turn it comes into play. And it doesn't make humans to trigger or to either be receptacles for plus one, plus one counters or to trigger your um, lieutenant. Hmm. But as a generic card, yeah, that's where you have to use it. That's what I'm saying is you need, we have a shell that's trying to use plus one, plus one counters. I, I think that's what you have to do. You have to be putting plus one, plus one counters on it somehow. Either the turn it comes into play or the next turn to pay, pay it off is more than, uh, better than Adeline. All right, we proceed through the family photo book to Akalpakal. Akalpakal? First among equals, two in a blue, legendary creature, human advisor. It's a one five. At the beginning of each player's end step, if an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, look at the top two cards of your library. One goes into your hand, the other into your graveyard. You can do this twice a turn cycle, once on your turn, once on their turn, if you have a source of artifacts. Um, tokens count. So if that's the case, I mean, this is, this is drawing a lot of cards. Yeah, I wouldn't bend my deck at all to try a trigger on their turn just like in the uh, blue white malkator list we were already playing artifact land so you just play an artifact land on turn three play a call up a call it draws a card the best card of your top two and you're gonna play an artifact for the rest of the game so they either kill it or you have like a personal better than howling mine uh you're also putting cards in your graveyard for emery this card is absolutely insane it's like a huge upgrade to Hercule. it does not require you to like mutilate your deck to play it also, five toughness is really good against basically all red removal. The tricky part is that the turn you play it, you're getting a one five, and that's that's not good. If you are not getting the artifact that turn, it's just not good. So it's actually kind of hard to do that. Like, how many dark Souls citadels are you actually going to play? How many mox ambers are you actually going to have in your hand? Um, I, I feel like it's a lot more powerful with underworld cookbook. Like, I don't know if this is actually a thing in modern, but it's that's quite enticing to me effortlessly triggering this on my turn and their turn without having to work too hard like saga just naturally triggers this um regardless of what you get 
But yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying is those are cards you already play. I would not play any flash artifacts or anything just to trigger this. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is the card draw happens at the end of your turn, so you can't really use it that turn. It's a little tricky. It's like a little slow. But we love drawing cards. We love drawing around. So. <laughs> All right. Up next, the Myco Tyrant. Legendary creature, Elder Fungus. Trample, star, star. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control that are fungi and or sapperlings. It is a fungus. So it's a three mana, one, one trample to start at least. At the beginning of your end step, create X11 black fungus creature tokens with this creature can't block where X is the number of times you descended this turn. So I'm outlining a play pattern here where it's turn three, I play a fetch land, I crack it with crab and play. I mill myself six times plus the fetch land and I play this. So if you make it to your end step, which you're not going to be guaranteed to do, you could possibly have seven one ones in play and this is now an eight eight that threatens to make more creatures the next turn. I mean... <laughs> This is very similar to a call per call where if you already have the enabler on the battlefield, it's like, okay, I can treat this as an ETB and then I'm very excited, but that's just not easy to do. Like if the crab is alive, then you're already in good shape. I, yeah, I don't think I would do this in crab vine. It's interesting. It's an interesting secondary angle of just like spamming out a bunch of funguses in pioneer. That's also very attractive, but it's so hard to enable in Pioneer. Like, we'd have to play, what is that, Throne of the Grim Captain or the one that just mills you for two every turn or something weird like that. You can, you can play the Enchant Land that mills whenever you tap it. <laughs> well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I would, I would actually do that because if you have Chronic Flooding onto into Micro Tyrant, you're getting four bodies that turn and then you're just going to get more and more. I mean, it's such a huge number of tokens that it's almost worth trying. I think at that point you would need to like play some on earth effects because this is going to die. <laughs> I like how it only counts the number of times you descend it. It doesn't really care whether they're still there in the graveyard. So unlicensed first is not going to necessarily shut this off. No, it has no effect on it at all. Yeah. Cool card. All right, we move on. Confounding Riddle. Two and a blue, instant. Choose one. Look at the top four cards in your library, put one into your hand, the rest in your graveyard. Or, counter target spell unless its controller pays four. Uh, boy, that's a lot better than Supreme Will. Yeah, so for people who don't know, Supreme <laughs> Will countered spell unless its controller paid three, so it's already just straight up better, strictly better. And then... It looks at the, this card looks at four and puts the other three in the graveyard. So this adds four cards to your graveyard. Um, That's huge. Yeah. Utterly huge. This card seems very powerful. Uh, <laughs> it does make me want to play with the nest, the uh, uh, Salti no. Nest deck again. Uh, you could no. just play it as an interactive card in like a Phoenix type of shell. Uh, I mean, yeah, this card just kind of does it all. The three mana counterspell. I mean, it's shocking to me that Pioneer is still the format of the three mana counterspell. That's got to be the primary mode, right? Like you can't, outside of exactly Titan's Nests, I can't imagine being happy doing uh, the impulse mill thing. I'd be, I'd be okay with it, but it's like, it's card neutral. It's, mm, mm. I mean, lots of decks play impulse on two. So this isn't that far away on three. Again, instant speed helps a ton. 
Pioneer really isn't a three mana counterspell list. Blue white control is really bad right now. Uh, there isn't another deck that plays three mana counterspells, so even that has proved to be a little clunky. So that's the only thing I'm worried about is the three mana that does not affect the board and does not interact favorably with any type of aggressive deck is is tough. But everything else it does is beautiful. Compared to like Archmage's Charm or Quick Study, right? If you can talk yourself into that four card mill, right? So you, you draw one and you end up with four cards in the yard. So you've fueled half your dig through time right there. So it's almost like a Black Lotus attached to an impulse in your reactive Demir control deck or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so weird to me that you see blue-white control or blue-black control and they only play a, a couple dig through times. Maybe we should be playing four and this is the card that lets us do it. I agree with you. Some people like play one. I just, I don't get it. So obviously I'm not a blue-black control player, but blue-white control doesn't play any. <laughs> right. I, I, there's something wrong there. Like this card can't be banned in modern and then unplayable in pioneer. If we can actually replace those random three mana cards with this, then I think we should be playing a ton of those delve cards. And maybe that just changes the whole complexion of the deck. I don't know. Yeah, we were, we were going to find out. <laughs> Next up, Pugnacious Hammer Skull. Two and a green dinosaur, 6-6. Six, six. Whenever Pugnacious Hammer Skull attacks... While you don't control another dinosaur, you have to put a stun counter on it. That's very funny, very flavorful. So it's like a Pachycephalosaurus. It rams so hard in something that it gets, uh, you know, the concussion. <laughs> so sit one, right. sit one yeah, out. Sit one out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just a ton of stats, right? We we talked about with the three two trample card. It works with fight rigging. It works with great henge. Those decks might play Kiora. Kiora is great to untap this if it gets a stun counter. I was even thinking about this in my like red green tortoise shell because Mutavolt is a dinosaur. You have the ability to make dinosaurs whenever you want, and that deck is going to often give this plus two, plus two, and trample, and just be able to finish your opponent off like quote unquote fairly. So I, there's just so much stats here that there, there's just a lot of homes for it. So Great Henge seems like the biggest draw to me. I don't have a lot of experience with fight rigging. I don't know how real that is, but. If I can just like consistently get my Great Henge down um, without having to compromise too much, I'm very intrigued by that. Well, I think you'd play like a four Fight Rigging, three Great Henge, and Fight Rigging can hit your Great Henge, and Great Henge can help you draw out of your Fight Rigging, etc. Okay, sure. But yeah, as far as like just a red-green like mid-range dinosaur list, that I don't think will happen. Agreed, yeah. So this is like a better ancient one in some ways. It's doing what ancient one's trying to do, but in the right colors. Yeah, exactly. Next up, Brass's Tunnel Grinder. I do not like this one, David, so I'll let you explain what you like about it. First of all, my gay coworker who does not play the game loved that a card with grinder on the title has sort of a phallic image on it. So he, Patrick, this is for oh you. I'm mentioning it. <laughs> he said he said he's going to listen to the podcast, so... Okay. Patrick Bedling, wherever you are, I, I've, I've met our agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Brass's Tunnel Grinder. When it enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards plus one. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, put a boar counter on Brass's, Brass's Tunnel Grinder. Then if there are three or more boar counters on it, remove those counters and transform it. Transforms into... 
Tekutlan, the Searing Rift, taps for a red. Whenever you cast a permanent spell using mana produced by Tekutlan, the Searing Rift, discover X where X is that spell's mana value. So, in theory, you play this card on turn three. It puts a permanent in your graveyard. It has a natural way to add it. Add a counter. After a couple turns, you flip it into a card that basically draws a card every time you tap it. A land that draws a card every time you tap it and makes, you know, an additional two or three mana or something like that. I cannot believe this card made it past the sensors. You've completely <laughs> blown my mind here now. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> okay. So it's called Tunnel Grinder. It's got a picture of, oh my God. And then like, brass, <laughs> yeah. brass is, ass is Tunnel Grinder. And then the backside is the Searing Rift. Jesus Christ, man. Use some lube. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it either. I was I was on my lunch break <laughs> looking at cards and and uh, my coworker who knows I play and he's just kind of like he was asking me about some uh, technical questions and he was like oh oh he doesn't he doesn't even play magic no okay. he's not he's not he does not play the game he's just like oh tunnel grinder <laughs> like he saw it immediately you know he's oh my god to such such things so oh my god um okay so what what you're saying is. Fine, but like we don't play sorcery speed Valkyrie Awakenings, right? That's just I just well, it, I can't it replaces see itself, there. so that's already something. Well, yeah, so what is Valkyrie Awakening? I just mean like that that effect was never it's never a win when you cast that. You usually play that as a land. It's just not worth three. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this card is just very easy to flip, and I've uh got a deck built already. There's multiple cards that specifically the uh Canker Bloom. So you could play this on three, play Canker Bloom on four, proliferate. Canker Bloom goes to the graveyard, triggers it. So on your end step of turn four, you can you can flip it, untapped. Oh, so you're actually trying to speed up the flip? Oh yeah. Okay, well, that that seems quite difficult. No, gosh, I just described it. <laughs> We've done it on turn four. We can't lose to a mid range deck as soon as this is flipped. Another card I really want to point out: people are not mentioning this card ever with all these flip cards. Kiora is so good with this card. Why is that? Kiora untaps it. You get to use mana. So you tap a red, you cast Kiora using the Tekute Law and the Searing Rift. Trigger. Oh, oh, oh. Kiora untaps Tekute Law and the Searing Rift. Cast, you know, whatever, a, the, a two mana shock that's a permanent. We get another card. Can't lose to a mid range deck in that way. You can't really lose to Mono White if you ever flip this. Mm. Honestly, can't lose to anybody. I, I, the, the card's unstoppable. <laughs> Ash, gosh. I mean. It also gets rid of all your other tunnel grinders. You just don't need them. So, like, you never have to worry about those getting stuck in your hand. You just chuck them all to this and turn them into anything else. <laughs> that's, that's all great if that works. I just can't picture this working. Like, turn three, I'm going to do nothing but flush some cards. I'm going to wait three turns, maybe two turns if I have a sketchy synergy card. I guess it's nice that the backside is not, not an artifact, so it's a little bit less vulnerable. But if the cave deck is as good as I think it is, like yeah, this turns into a cave. <laughs> the searing rift is well. I mean, you know, it's gonna get strip mined. Um, your <laughs> ass is tunnel grinder and searing yes. rift is gonna yes. get strip mined. <laughs> anyway, um, we move on. What's next? Tishana's Tidebinder, two in a blue, Merfolk, Flash. When Tishana's Tidebinder enters the battlefield, counter up to one target activated or triggered ability. If an artifact, creature, or planeswalker ability is countered this way, that permit loses all abilities until Tishana's Tidebinder leaves the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Three mana, three, two, flash is interesting. Does die to stomp. Does interact very positively with planeswalkers. Does interact profitably with certain other cards. 
this might be useful. Merfolk is a better deck in modern, but yes. you know, this counter effect will likely get a card of value. And yet I just don't think it's quite good enough. Yeah. The fact that they also like get to unlock it eventually when the Tidebinder dies is a huge negative, right? So, okay. They play Karn and minus it and you Tishana Tidebinder it. Okay. So Karn's passive is turned off. Karn does not get to search. You don't attack Karn. Of course you don't have to. It's locked down by this Tidebinder. Or do you still have to attack it? Cause eventually they're just going to bolt this thing. <laughs> mm. For modern specifically, we, we have not seen a lot of nimble obstruction that's played. Shadow of Doubt is not a widely played card, so I, I just don't quite see it there. Yeah. Moving on, next to the Preacher of the Schism, it's two and a black creature, vampire cleric, two for a death touch when this enters, excuse me, whenever this attacks the player with the most life or tied for the most life, you create a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink. Whenever Preacher attacks while you have the most life or are tied for the most life, you draw a card, you lose one life. So I do not like this. When I look at this, I see that I really only want to draw the card, right? And that means I need to have the most life. So I, I feel like it's very win more. I feel like if I don't have the most life, if all I'm getting is a vampire, that's just not enough to claw me back. It's not dealing a meaningful amount of damage. So I just like attack with this get a 1-1 lifelink and they just shrug and continue with their day. They mark down two life on their, their score pad. I just, I just don't see it. Well, first of all, I didn't realize this card triggers both if you are tied for the most life. So if you're both at 20 on turn okay. three, you get both. It checks at the triggering of the ability. The other thing is like this card is just really interesting with Soren. Soren can pump vampires, give them lifelink. It's hard to ignore a 3-5 lifelink preacher. Uh, with Soren, the vampire is fodder for Soren. Uh, we're going to talk about another vampire later that uh, is kind of interesting in vampire shells. So yeah, I don't think this card's like super powerful. I also think it's an absolute disaster if Red Black steals it. Uh, you Red Black sack, you basically lose just lose the game. But as like a one or two of, this is the best uh, three mana vampire, I believe. And so if you're going to play a Soren deck, uh, I think you're just priced into playing this card. You think this is the best three mana vampire? What is better? Nothing, but you don't have to play three mana vampires. A corpse appraiser is good. I mean, this next one looks better. Um, <laughs> the other one is not black. Silver smoke ghoul is better with Soren than this, I think. No, not, absolutely not. It's got that synergy. It loops. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's compare to the sanguine evangelists, which is two and a white for a two one vampire cleric. With Battlecry, what's that doing here? Battlecry? <laughs> when Sanguine Evangelist enters the battlefield or dies, create a 1-1 black bat creature token with flying. So you're getting, you're getting your stats when it enters. You're getting a bonus bat when it dies. The bat does not have creature types that are useful. The, the bats don't seem to synergize at all, but they are nice. Yeah, um, this seems like a super powerful uncommon or just like a super synergistic rare. There's a lot of fodder here for bargain, which is kind of interesting. If you're going mm -hmm. super wide in a tokens deck, this is maybe just too slow, even though it's super powerful. Like you can't imagine the convoke deck really wanting a card like this. There's just slightly better cards. Um, so yeah, this is probably just a just miss for me, but cards like this, that give you value when they die and are also kind of not quote unquote must kills, but this has a lot of power with battle cry possibly if you curved out. 
So they're sort of forced to kill it. You get value for that. That's that's kind of interesting. So the thing that I wanted, like these are both vampire clerics. I wanted more support for the cleric deck, and the cleric lord is Shadow Right Priest um, from Dominaria. It pumps your clerics, and then for five and tap, you can sack any cleric to get any black creature into play. I just wanted some of these tokens to have cleric subtypes and they don't, right? The first one making vampire tokens, the second one making bat tokens is just kind of a disappointment to me. I mean, the cleric class isn't a thing, so you just got to get over it. I don't know what to tell you. It's not a supported class. It's not going to be a supported class. There isn't a cleric deck. There won't be a cleric deck. So be it. <laughs> Very well. The dream is dead. What's next? Kitesail Larcenus, Tuna Blue, 2-3, Flying Ward 1. When it enters the battlefield for each player, choose up to one other target artifact or creature that player controls. For as long as Kitesail Larcenus remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanents uh, become treasure artifacts with tap, sacrifice this artifact, add one mana of any color, and lose all abilities. I don't know if this card is good. It's just really strange. Uh, so it's Tuna Blue. has a little bit of resistance. It does fly. It is a pirate. It's kind of a foe removal. If you have like cheap ways to blow up artifacts, you can kill any permanent, I guess. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think this will see any play, but it, there, there's something strange happening here that is at least intriguing to me. So you also get to turn your own thing into a treasure? You can, if you want. Is there any benefit to that? I was trying to think through it. There must be something. I, I couldn't come up with anything because it also loses other abilities. So it can't necessarily be a creature. It's like, oh, that gives you value when it sacrifices. But there's something you want no, to get in your graveyard. Huh. You could somehow. Yeah, I, there's got to be something, but I don't, I don't know what it is. That's a strange card. Yeah. Um, hmm. So no obvious home, not even necessarily that powerful, but it just does something like super unique. So just worth thinking about. Okay, next up is another strange one. Poetic Ingenuity, two and a red enchantment. Two very different static abilities. The first one, whenever one or more dinosaurs you control attack, create an equal number of treasure tokens, equal to the number of attacking dinosaurs, I suppose. The second ability, whenever you cast an artifact spell, create a 3-1 red dinosaur creature token. This ability triggers only once per turn. I guess it's the second ability that seems more likely to be uh, build around right like if every artifact you cast generates a 3-1 even if it's limited to once a turn that's still a lot of value yeah you'd basically have to only cast two artifacts and you're getting three mana worth of stuff out of this unfortunately that does not count dark seal citadel doesn't count any tokens it has to actually be casting artifact spells yes yeah. yep and if that's the case what turn is that going to happen it can't really happen on turn three unless you have mox amber yeah or ornithopter or something mm. The dinosaurs and treasures have, I just don't see that. That synergizes with the tokens that you yourself make, but I don't think you want to <laughs> go out of your way to put dinosaurs in your deck. Yeah. This does something very interesting. The artifact thing is interesting, like as an engine, but what the shell is around that that lets us then win the game is, is unknown to me. I did a search for flash artifacts just in case, you know, you could get the dinosaurs twice per turn cycle. There's nothing there. Currently, there's nothing there. So They printed a few in this set. There's like a blue mana 1-2 <laughs> that gives a creature minus 2 minus 0. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's the, the blade trap or whatever. But anyway. Uh, next up, Soul Coil Viper. 
Soul Coil Viper. It's a snake. It's a 2-3 for 2 and a black. It has black tap. Sacrifice the Soul Coil Viper to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. Activate as a sorcery. I do not like this, but I acknowledge that it is a cheap reanimation effect. Yeah, I think the finality counter is just sort of an interesting space for them to play in. They would normally not print a card like this that was sort of like a rare-like effect in the past, but they can kind of get away with it because the finality counter means you don't have like endless loops. Um, I do think if you're going to play this card, I'm thinking Tyvar has to be involved so that your Viper is just a straight-up like four-mana re- reanimation spell. Mm. Right, because I, I guess I never looked at uh, Doom Necromancer and thought, if only we had this in more formats. It just doesn't seem reliable. Um, if I'm going to go through all the trouble of reanimating something, I just want the reanimation to just happen. I don't want to have to like add a creature surviving to the equation. And yeah, Tyvar gets around it, but I just don't think it's strong enough for me personally. Yeah, I, I think this is a miss for me as well, but um, I think Tyvar is the only thing that even makes it like plausible. Also, you know, like Agatha's Soul Cauldron, you can put this ability on tokens or whatever that you're making, so. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Well, at the almost the two-hour mark, have we made it to the four drops? We have done that. <laughs> All right, so the fourth cavern. All right, Thousand Moons Smithy. When it enters the battlefield, create a white gnome soldier artifact creature token with... This creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts and or creatures you control. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may tap five untapped artifacts and or creatures you control. If you do, transform Thousand Moon Smithy. And the transform side taps for white, and when you cast an artifact or creature spell using mana produced by the barracks, you create a white gnome soldier artifact creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts and or creatures you control. So, short story long. A four-mana artifact that does nothing, but it's coming to play effect is to make a construct that also counts creatures you control. And then if you tap five artifacts, of which the smithy itself is an artifact, you can turn it into this land that makes basically one of those a turn every time you cast a permanent spell. Oh, I did not realize that these constructs count all creatures, not just artifact creatures. That's huge. Those are huge. So yeah, it's, it's, even like, it's not even really an artifact. It's just a large creature on the front side. The trigger happens at the beginning of pre-combat main, so you can't really do it the turn that you cast it. You gotta wait a turn. And if you haven't already set up your five artifacts by that, you have to wait two turns. Right, and you'll um, often have to tap the smithy itself, so you probably won't be able to cast on a permanent the turn that you flip it. Oh, it transforms, it doesn't exile and come back yep, untapped. exactly. All of that still being said, I mean, this is just... A lot of upside on a large creature. Kind of intrigued. You know, we skipped it, but there's like a random common that just makes three artifacts for three, which is exactly what Malkator is looking for also. It's good for affinity. I forget the name of it. It makes two gnomes. Um, Yeah, you can sack it for three life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't seem that far-fetched to actually flip this, um, but yeah, maybe flipping it's the wrong way to go. Maybe you should just be using your artifacts to win the game instead of doing this. Yeah, I guess for me, the cards that like naturally seem to like pump it up and turn on your whatever is they already have a deck. Epicure, Thraben, Inspector, they're already in a deck. Mm. There's, there's a Convoke deck, and this is too slow for that. So is this just going to be like a version of that deck that's just 
has more late game power, which is not what that deck needs and is just way slower. That's kind of what it seems like to me. This card is cool. Like it's a huge upgrade over Karn Cyanaverza, but Cyanaverza does not see any play. So now maybe you have like a way to blink this every turn. That's kind of interesting. You can double the come into play trigger with um, Mom. Oh. Like maybe you just do the front side stuff. Maybe maybe you aren't even worried about the the backside. Interesting. Like I was playing that shell where we were blinking um the uh, chariot. This is not as good on the front side, but you wouldn't have to play green if you didn't want to. Yeah. There's a lot of power here. The question is, how do you unlock it without being way too slow? Also, the flip land is an artifact, so it can still just die. Or get carned <laughs> even after you or, yeah it. oh yeah i didn't even think of that wow that's that that is a feel bad <laughs> anyway mm. there's something there though because it is powerful to dan's point all right on to the next card starving revenant two black black spirit horror when it enters the battlefield surveil two then for each card you put on top of your library you draw a card and you lose three life Descend eight whenever you draw a card if there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard target opponent loses a life and you gain a life so it's a four mana card that can be a draw two and then late in the game can eventually turn into like uh, a weird like shielded, but you can just play shielded on four. You don't have to do any of this. Three life for a card is a pretty high price to pay, even for someone like me who loves to draw cards. <laughs> I'm struggling to like name the thing this card does well. It does a little bit of a lot of different stuff. I think the, the best thing that it does is lose six life. And if you actually want to do that, this is actually a very good option for losing six life but i don't think there's much synergy in that space right now like what would what, what i gain from that death shadow um shadow mortality uh font of agonies yeah, you gotta have four mana i mean there's there's no way to cheat on the mana there you gotta correct <laughs> yeah and then descend eight is just not gonna happen so surveil two is not really enough for a graveyard deck no all right moving on uh, hulking raptor two green green dinosaur it's a five three with ward two that's plausible at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase add green green that's very interesting um so this happens pre-combat main phase and every time i see that word combat i think it happens in the combat step which throws me off because uh, i keep thinking of like frontier siege which is actually quite good because it pays you back right away this one right. doesn't this is not no <laughs> So yeah, in theory, you play this on turn three, either with a rampant growth effect, Sylvan carry added, mana elf, whatever. Then on turn four, you play your fourth land and you get two green mana plus your mana ramper. So you have seven mana on turn four is the play pattern you're proposing. That is all, like if, if that happens, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. You can put that mana towards your great henge. So it's almost like a seven power dino for that purpose. I mean, it's... Hmm. Do you like 5-3? I mean, there's no combat stats here. Is that actually a relevant size? No, I, I, I don't like 5-3. I don't like how vulnerable it is to red removal. So, like, there's a lot. There's one mana out red, do three damage. Hmm. Even with the ward 2, I'm still up a, up a mana on you. So. Okay. But, I, I mean, man, getting to turn 4, cast basically any card in your deck is pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, so, like, the dream is there, I think, to lure you in <laughs> right right i feel like this is likely to be there maybe i'm naive i'm like if i invest four it's very likely that i survive to get the mana but 
maybe that's just not true. <laughs> now, the other thing you could say is maybe you just want this to be your kind of insurance card on four mana for your uh, like fight rigging deck. Like if fight rigging doesn't happen and they mm. like this by itself casts your expensive spells. Like you said, it, it counts a lot of power towards your whatever. A lot of those decks are playing the four green, green, green sorcery as a replacement for a land. This actually just casts that like naturally on turn four. Um, oh, I like that. So, you know, maybe you just played it. This is like a couple of in, the, in that deck is just another way to, to, you know, it's, it's a hit for rigging. It eventually gets up to seven power. So. Okay. That's actually, that's actually quite an important role then bridging that gap. Cause yeah, normally you'd play like the escape black green creature there uh that like can fight what pelucranos this might just be better than that yeah this might just be better than pelucranos okay we'll see play when pelucranos rotates <laughs> uh next up abuelo's awakening the little encanto alternate universe here it's x3 white sorcery Return target artifact or non-aura enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. With X additional plus one plus one counters on it, it's a 1-1 spirit with flying in addition to its other types. I was quite excited about this until that last part that it turns into a tiny little creature. That is not good. However, this is the cheapest version of this effect. Um, if you want to like get back your omniscience or whatever <laughs> yeah specifically the enchantment part is interesting we already have a four mana sorcery that gets back an artifact and doesn't turn into a one one so this exactly like dan says omniscience there's a few other super powerful blue enchantments they've printed in the last couple sets um man making it a one one is just so tough though the whole point of playing these decks is yeah. you're dodging your <laughs> opponent's stomps their your pushes the the red shocks and this just says, all right, now they're actually all good. And they, <laughs> I've got a giant bullseye. I've painted on the one card. I've obviously invested a card milling it and then this card casting it. So uh, I, I don't think that is what you want to be doing. Agreed. You do get one card with omniscience before it dies, I guess. If you want to <laughs> cast here, you know, take a turn, make two ravens or whatever your payoff is. All right. Next up is O'Hare Pakpatik, Deepest Epoch. Part of the God cycle. This is the blue one, two blue, blue, legendary God, four, three, flying. Whenever you cast an instant spell from your graveyard, excuse me, whenever you cast an instant spell from your hand, it gains rebound. When O'Hare Pakpatik dies, return it to the battlefield tapped and transformed with three time counters on it. The backside is a land, Temple of Cyclical Time. It taps for a blue, and when you do that, you remove a time counter. Or for two and a blue, you tap it, you transform it back to the front side. You can only do this if you've gotten rid of three time counters and as a sorcery. So yeah, rebound is incredible. Um, right? So in theory, you want to play this with five mana up. So you get to cast this and double consider. Um, obviously, if you really want to live the dream, I mean, we're talking about dig through time. I mean, you double dig through time, the game is over, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous feeling. So on the one hand, it's like the entire purpose of the backside is to transform back into the front. But the entire purpose of the backside can just be as a land. Like if this is a powerful card advantage engine that dies into a land, that's quite good, right? Like you play this, you immediately at least consider, preferably Treasure Cruise. It's actually dig. It has to be an instant. I, I have a note here that's wrong. It has to be an instant. It can't be a sorcery. Oh, good catch. Okay. The rebound is locked in. So even if they kill Ojer Pakpatik before your upkeep, you're still getting your second 
thing and you're getting your land and eventually you're getting your God back. Yeah. So I want to, again, nobody does this, but me, but I really want to advocate for people to play Kiora with this card. Kiora draws a card when this comes into play, lets you have five mana on turn force because you want a mana up exactly like Dan was describing. And then it untaps temple to flip this back quite quickly. It flips back as a four, four that draws another card with Kiora. And then I also want to explain how adventure works with this, because I think in our Kiora O'Hare Pakpatik list, we are going to play Bone Crusher Giant. So if you play Stomp with this in play, you get to choose the order. You can exile it into adventure as it resolves, or you can exile it into rebound as it resolves. Let's say you choose rebound. That makes sense. During your next upkeep, you can either cast the Stomp again and it will exile into adventure, or you can cast a Bone Crusher for free if there's no targets or you're worried that they have a negate up or something. Wait, what? No way. Is that yeah, actually I, how that works? I have read this extensively because I was so excited about playing Kiora with O'Hare. So you can even play like Brazen Borrower, bounce a permanent put it in rebound and you get to cast brazen borrow for free in your upkeep, or you can cast the adventure half for free. And then it goes into adventure to cast brazen borrow later for mana. Are there ways to like use that as a big ramp effect? Oh, like a cheap first half. And a, there's a green card that does that. I don't know if it's an instant though. It has to be an instant. Oh, right. Uh, what is that green card called? So, like, there's a disenchant for a one and a green. That's a sorcery. There's a ramp spell, two and a green. Find a basic land. That's a sorcery. The 6-6 six, six whale has an instant ability, but I think it has to target a t attacking or blocking creature or something. Checking right now. That's such a fascinating line. Did not think of that at all. Okay, well, I'm sure we're going to get more adventures, so that's very cool. I guess my question for you, David, is, have we reached the point where three toughness is not enough in Pioneer? And I'm thinking specifically of Torch the Tower, which exiles this fiery impulse if you prefer. Well, no one's playing Torch the Tower, so we aren't at that phase in Pioneer. Um, three toughness matters against exactly mono white because this does not block Thalia with a counter on it. And it actually doesn't profitably block almost anything once Adeline and uh, the Lieutenant get to getting down. Um, and then against... Phoenix, right? This this dies to all their one mana removal. You don't play them that often, so maybe it's just fine. I, I, I like this card quite a bit. I think it lines up well. I think a big flyer is actually really good against spirits. I think you just try to trade it for Adeline straight up and then just eventually get it back. I, I think this is just almost good good against almost everything. If, if it lives or you get to play it with uh, one red mana instant, that's just like so tempo positive. On your next turn, you're just in catch-up mode. So I think three toughness is, is weaker for sure, but I don't think that this it makes this card anything other than you know just reasonable instead of insane. The black virtue of persistence is a sorcery. That's such a bummer. God, I was like, that's the card. That's the card. But no. Uh, all right. <laughs> the blue and white virtues you can do this with. That's very cool. All right, that's a thinker. Uh, next up is a very simple card, which I actually like quite a lot. It's Bloodletter of Aklazot's one black, 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 so four mana total. Vampire Demon, two, four flying. If an opponent would lose life during your turn, they lose twice that much life instead. Damage causes loss of life, so combat damage works. Anything that says damage 
I read this as like double strike for your entire team and for your Soren effect, right? If Soren's lightning helix does six, how does anyone survive this? This just seems super, super powerful. Yeah. It's a four power evasive creature. The vampire definitely matters. It's also cool with Grey Merchant, but yeah, I, I think it's going to see home in, in a Soren-like deck. You need all these synergies because Shielded is so good. So uh, yeah, I, th I think it has to be in a vampire deck, basically. Or a Grey Merchant deck, but we should not be playing Grey Merchant decks. I mean, that'd be fun too. Like, those two cards alone is 10? <laughs> 10 life? Yep. <laughs> um, it seems like a, a fun, simple card to build around, and... So we don't have to argue anymore about whether that 2-4 vampire is good. We'll just play this instead and focus on cheaper vampires. <laughs> no, the 2-4 is even awesome with this. <laughs> is it? Yeah. You keep talking about people just ignoring damage. It's like, oh, they take 4 or 6 or whatever. I can ignore that, but I can't ignore <laughs> a cave coming into play to half. Then I have to do something. <laughs> All right. I guess that, that line is a little more attractive. If I'm attacking with a 2-4 death touch, that's actually going to deal 4 when it hits. That also is making another vampire that has functionally double strike mm. and his lifelink. So I like this card like a lot, a lot, probably too much, but yeah, I've, I've already built a, uh, Soren list. So I think the only problem with this, as far as us as like brewers is it doesn't go like in that many shells. It's kind of like true. It has black, black, black in the casting cost. So, you know, we're, we're pretty bright guys. We realize we're going to need a lot of swamps in that <laughs> list. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, Soren is great with it. Soren pumping all the vampires is actually awesome if you don't want to sack them because Soren gives functional mm. plus two, plus two, plus the extra abilities. So um, even just Soren's like plus, which has kind of been always the weakness of the card, turns into like a very legitimate clock. Um, so, yeah, I like this card a lot. What's next? Sovereign Okanek Ahua. Ahau. Cat Noble, two white, green, ward two, three, four, whenever it attacks. For each creature you control with power greater than that creature's base power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on that creature equal to the difference. So, if you have a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it, when this card attacks, it sees that that creature has an extra power and gives it an additional plus one, plus one counter. The other way you could imagine using this is with like a giant growth effect that makes it permanent. So... I've got a 1-1 one, one in play, and I'm, I'm going to attack with this. I cast Giant Growth on my creature. It becomes 4 power for the turn. Sovereign gives an additional plus 3, plus 3 permanent counters to it on the attack. So I think that second one is the only way you'd ever use it, is some kind of like crazy combo finish, like overrun after you cast this. Right, it gives plus 3, plus 3 to all your creatures. This turns that into a 6-6 six, six bonus with 3 of it permanent. Something like that is the only thing I could imagine uh, being good. But I, I mean, this has to attack and it's a four drop. They, they've been chucking like these small ward costs on these things just to give you like a little bit of hope. And it's like, like, I still am casting terror or whatever. Doomblade just I will pay the four. That's fine. <laughs> it was pretty recently that I was saying that magic would be better if everything had like ward two on it. Right? <laughs> but, well, this does. <laughs> you can play sovereign. Yeah, I, I don't want to play this myself. Yeah, this seems like a really fun, like little kid kind of a deck. Like. When you get to do your overrun thing, you just feel like a million bucks, you know, just crush your opponent. It doesn't matter how many shielders they have in play, just like roll through them. Hmm. Okay, we have the big bad guy of the set. Up next is Vito, fanatic of Aklazots. It's two white-black legendary creature vampire demon. Four, four flying. 
whenever you sacrifice another permanent. If it's the first time this ability resolves this turn, you gain two life. If it's the second time, each opponent loses two life. If it's the third time, create a 4-3 white and black vampire demon creature token with flying. So that's that Omnath templating, but Omnath is checking for landfall. This is checking for sacrificing permanence. It doesn't care what kind of permanent. It can be a token. That's fine. But the payoff is like pretty small. Like the payoff for step one and two seems too small to matter. The payoff for step three seems not big enough. Yeah, I, I think the problem here is that the payoff for one and two is very bad. Opponents losing life and you gaining life is very, very weak, as yeah. opposed to something like the devil doing damage wherever you want. So you need to sack three permanents for this to be better than just sacking three <laughs> random permanents for a devil. This is already a mana more than it. And then your payoff is a 4-3. So if again, it's it's one of those where if you don't go all the way to three, it's kind of like you didn't do anything. If you're playing a four mana 4-4 four, four flying, you're not putting the kind of pressure on their life that draining them for two. I mean, Shielder just does that by coming into play. Cat Oven's like the only way to consistently do this. And even that doesn't get you there. Doesn't get you the demon. No. Um, hmm. All right. Yeah, kind of yeah. weirdly like weak. <laughs> I'm off. And like, okay, Soren can sacrifice a permanent a turn. You get an extra two life. It just doesn't do anything. I'm done with Vito. Smite him. Let's move on. <laughs> Next up. All right, the Roaming Throne. Artifact creature Golem, four mana, ward two, just like we said, always better. As it <laughs> enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. It is the chosen type in addition to its other types. If it triggered ability of another creature you control of the chosen type triggers, it triggers an additional time. So kind of like mom, kind of like Panharmonicon, but it also triggers on non-come-into-play types of abilities, which is interesting. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. So attack triggers work for this. Death triggers work. Breaches. Uh, Malkator's end of the turn trigger, uh, if you're looking to make another golem, for instance. Huh. Captain of the Storm is, is a card that I have here, right? This can come into play as an artifact. Captain of the Storm triggers twice. If you play that Siren, the come into play trigger happens twice. It makes two maps. Each map triggers Captain of the Storm twice. The heck is Captain of the Storm? <laughs> the the blue-red 2-2 that gives puts a plus one, plus one counter on a target pirate whenever an artifact enters. Oh, Captain Storm. Okay, I thought you were talking about Captain of Mists for a second there. Oh, Captain no, Storm, Cosmium Raider. Gotcha. Yes. So in Elementals, you could do Risen Reef into this, right? Trigger Risen Reef twice. You can play Omnath and you'll get double the draw. And then for each land trigger, it doubles the Omnath trigger. So there's a lot of different things you can do. Wizards. Um, it can double Ingenious Smiths. Trigger when it comes into play. The plus one, plus one counter when an artifact enters. Skitterbeam Battalion has a come into play trigger that's kind of interesting if you want to do like prototype or construct or whatever the hell it is. So there's a lot of different shells here. I think this is going to be one of the more expensive cards in the shell because I think every EDH deck is going to want this as a colorless enabler of whatever your tribe of choice is. That's for sure. For constructed, I feel like you really need to have the immediate double trigger and that means that of the outlines you outlined risen reef is the one that like really works cleanly the ones that require this to survive a turn and then also do another thing i'm a little bit less attracted by like it's gonna spend all my mana to cast this so if i'm tapping out for a throne it's not buffing anything uh it's not doing anything until i play my next engineer smith 
Well, it buffs Ingenious Smith twice. Oh, that's true. It buffs Captain Storm twice. Wait, so if Ingenious Smith says it only triggers once a turn, this gets around that? It just like adds a second trigger? I guess that does work. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. Same with, so like if you just go like Captain of the Storm into Breach's attack, make an artifact, then you play this, trigger Captain of the Storm twice, attack, you double the Breach's trigger, and then you have two pirates attacking, so you get all three of the Breach's triggers, and then the map triggers the Captain twice. This makes two Ragavans off Kari's Ev attacking. <laughs> triggers push. Triggers push. In the middle <laughs> exactly. of combat. Yeah, it seems really fun. A lot of those decks, I imagine, don't really want four drops naturally, but maybe this is just powerful enough. To your point, Elementals does. So, you know, people are already playing like Mom and a couple of those shells. I think this might just be better than Mom. Mm. I mean, it's cheaper. One, one mana cheaper counts for a lot in my in my mind. I just don't like playing five drops. And Elastorn's a legend. You're an old school player. I don't think it's right for you to say mom referring to a card printed in <laughs> Is it significantly 2022. I, mean, I couldn't take to the <laughs> out for a, a Coke without getting weird with the local authorities. <laughs> oh, I just mean like, you know, but that's mother of ruins. Like that's, that's mom. Oh, I see what We're you're saying. I'm disrespecting. 90s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I just haven't played with mother of ruins in so long. I mean, I haven't cast some other ruins in 15 years. I don't own any mother of ruins. I traded them all away before they got super expensive. What? Oh, okay. All right. I don't, it's not, it's not my casual collection. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> Next up, Strange Little Wrath, Terror Tide, two black, black sorcery, fathomless descent, which means all creatures get minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is a number of permanent cards in your graveyard. This is very niche. I, I can't quite picture a scenario where I w- would want this. I mean, I just have an example here. It always leaves souls of the lost alive. And almost certainly kills everything else. So, like... Oh, I see. Wrath effects that, that can kill your opponent's creatures and not your creature are pretty sweet. <laughs> I mean, it is a okay. Plaguewind. So, yeah, like you say, super niche. N- not everyone's going to play Souls of the Lost Alive. You don't actually want to play it probably in your main deck. Or, or, you know, if you do, it's it's just a card that helps you win creature mirrors. But there are a lot of cards, Souls of the Lost Alive and a few other ones, that track to this plus one. And so it's it's possible you just get to wrath everything else. It also gets around like indestructible and a few other things like that. Next up, bedrock tortoise. Hey, another turtle. After the success of the previous turtle, we get a bedrock tortoise. It's three and a green. Oh six creature turtle. As long as it's your turn, creatures you control have hexproof. That's all creatures, including the bedrock tortoise. What's more, each creature you control with toughness greater than its power assigns combat damage equal to his toughness rather than its power. Um, door in the siege tower, assault formation, high alert, various versions of this effect. But this one is stapled to what is functionally a 6-6 that more or less has hexproof. What do you think? I hate that they have a thing where the power and toughness actually matter. Like, if you're playing some cards that have weaker toughness than power, then they should just do less damage. This like crazy thing where they never want you to feel a little bad and they don't ever want you to have to like think about building around your own cards <laughs> is so weird to me. But yeah, this card just seems really fine. Like if you're just playing, I think you pointed out, Dan, if you have a bunch of like random O3s, now I'm playing Tortoise. Well, this turn, unless you want to take a beating, you have to kill my O3 gnome and you have to kill my 
you know, one four that hoses your artifacts. Uh, even though they're not threatening until a Taurus comes down, once Taurus comes down, you can't actually hit them this turn. Yeah, unlike the um, that Dino we were talking about, where they just do their thing with it on the stack. This one is protected for sure. The turn you cast it, you're going to get your big hit in. I was thinking bigger than 03s. I was thinking like Aegis Turtles and 06s and whatnot. So you're actually presenting lethal. Maybe that's not realistic. My complaint is that this is not Collected Company eligible. So it's not necessarily improving yeah. the smoothness of the deck. It's a fair point because you'd want to play kind of Collected Company in that type of shell. Yeah. And can you play four Collected Company for this and then like Mana Elf or do you? Because I think you kind of want to just go like, Aegis Turtle, you know, some of those other cheap cards, and then this on top, like it's just part of a curve. And at least at first attack, they can't really interact with you with removal. Obviously, Turtle's probably going to die. Um, but very hard to kill for red decks, especially. Like, this is really good against Phoenix. Oh, yeah. I mean, six toughness is, well, I guess if, if they're not playing Burning Hands, six toughness is a lot. Yeah. Um, I love that... Uh, What's that like one in a green backup creature? It's like a deals damage equal to its toughness. And then if you back something up, it also gives that. Yeah, it's an O2. Yeah. And I thought like there's plenty of stuff in this space now, but maybe it's just like too weak of a concept. I don't know. We need Shield Sphere to be legal in Pioneer. That's, that's, that's the key. clearly what we're missing. <laughs> All right. We have finished the fours. We go on yes. to the fives. All right, Bone Horde Dracosaur, Dinosaur Dragon, three red red, flying, first strike, five five. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. If you exile the land card this way, create a three one red dinosaur creature token. If you exile the non land card this way, create a treasure token. So this is like um, Bane Slayer Angel on steroids. The problem is Bane Slayer Angel is like, a 12 year old card or something. And that doesn't see any play anymore. And you know, this is like an elder Gargaroth. It has to live. And uh, what we found is mono greens, like moved away from elder Gargaroth and is playing the seemingly much weaker uh, five, six that does something when it comes into play and dies. But it turns out those cards come into play and die all the time. And bone dinosaur and many other five drops are not going to live to your next upkeep very often. So you're only going to get one dinosaur, one token. I, I did not realize that at first. I thought you could get two treasures, two dinosaurs, depending on what you milled, but that's not the case. You know, I'm I'm worried because we kind of negged on Shieldred for similar reasons. Like it's just a creature that dies to Doomblade, but that turned out to be fine. This one being a little bit more expensive, not really stabilizing you in the same way, not having that comeback potential. Also, like, one more mana is not trivial. Like, four and five mana are really far away. It's just, like, a stunning amount of value, though. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> like, if you're, not, if you're not printing enter the battlefield effects, it does create, like, I think Patrick Sullivan has talked about this. Like, the Baneslayer Angel is, like, a very tension-rich card, right? Some games it's going to win where almost no other card would have. Like, it'll just win a game by itself. And then other games, you know, your opponent will Doomblade and Divination, and then they're way ahead. They've had to push these cards so much that Shielded is kind of the epitome of that, right? Like it comes into play and if you have removal, it's bad. And if you don't, it just, it can win the game by itself or it can win a game that other four drops never can. And this is like, take that on steroids. Like if it lives and you get a, a dinosaur and then you draw two extra cards, it's like, okay, then you have probably won that game. I mean, it's 
kind of crazy how much you actually get uh, if it if it lives. But that tension is like really ratcheted up. Like it's five mana <laughs> versus it it probably does win the game if you get a couple untaps. It draws four cards a turn, and one of those cards is a like a mox. One of them is a free creature. So that's maybe that's the way to think of this. Just be like, all right, fuck it. I'm just gonna build a ramp deck. Play four of this. Maybe it's a dragon ramp deck. Maybe it's a dinosaur ramp deck. And just make them kill this as many times as they can. Because if it ever lives, I'm drawing so many cards. I'm, just I'm drawing two cards, but I'm getting so many resources. Yeah, I mean, a treasure when you have five land in play doesn't do anything, but... It casts the cards I'm drawing off this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think this card is going to be bad. Uh, but I, I like that they're continuing to like ratchet up this tension. Because these cards are a lot more interesting than... Whatever, a two mana, two two that draws a card when it comes into play like we know what that does every time and this has dramatically different effects on different games yeah i'm not sure if i agree that it's interesting but i do like how the powers has some variance built in i think it's the kind of a groaner type car like oh, i think they got me with this like you know i have removal i just didn't have it in hand and they just like got two turns with this and now i i'm too far behind so i think it'd be kind of annoying card like maybe it is just like super powerful Maybe not as like a one-of, but just like put four in, see what happens. Anyway, uh, we move on to another exciting five-drop, Contorius Canned, the Planeswalker of the set. Three red-white, legendary Planeswalker Contorius for loyalty. Static text whenever you cast a spell from exile, like with your bone horde Dracosaur. <laughs> Contorius can deals two damage to each opponent and you gain two life. His loyalty abilities are quite good the plus one makes a three two red and white spirit creature token the minus three is discover four and the minus six exile any number of target cards from your graveyard add red for each card exile this way and you may play those cards this turn um that's terrifying it's like a supercharged tybalt's belky ultimate although it's only good for one turn baseline is you play this and you discover four right you gain some life when you do that. You hopefully defend yourself. Uh, if you don't need to do that, you just play this for five. You make your spirit. You're not quite at ultimate yet. I don't know. I mean, this card just doesn't even seem close to me. I love the design, but discovering four is just so random. Like, you hope to defend it. <laughs> this is not what we do with a five-mana planeswalker. Just, like, knock the top of our deck. I mean, okay, you can, you can guarantee defending it with the plus one. That's fine. I think what's exciting about it to me is the specific interaction with Showdown of the Skulls is like game winning, right? It just like instantly wins the game. But if you ever discover into Showdown, well, the Contorius probably dies. But if, if it doesn't die, then they die, right? <laughs> Somebody's dying and it could be them. Uh, and you're going to cast all these things from Exile. <sighs> the hidden power is that static. Well, I guess to me, the static is the problem. Damaging opponents is not very good in control decks that play, you know, these planeswalkers that gain incremental value. So it can't control the board with that ability. It just starts damaging them. And if you're playing a, a deck that's playing Quatorius Can, you probably haven't been pressuring their life total on turns one, two, three, and four. So you can do a lot of damage to them. Even your play that you just described does 10 to them at most. That's not enough. If you hit no lands, that, that isn't very good if you haven't done any damage to them yet. <laughs> oh, I see. So lands don't count. Mm, yeah. That's too bad. 
The one thing I kind of like <sighs> is it can, this can hit Spark Double at, with the Discover 4, and then Spark Double becomes a Quintorius. It can minus again, and then the next Discover does 4 damage. It hit another Spark Double. Oh, that's kind of fun. And then you could Quintorius again. Uh, <laughs> Now, I don't know how many spark doubles you can play in this world, but man, like this, this in the spark double is, is kind of sweet. Can you build your entire deck so that every Contorius guarantees a spark double? Nothing is less than five, less than four. I mean, you can, you absolutely can. <laughs> Will you make it to four mana or five mana is the question. Maybe, maybe. All right. Maybe that's too hard to build around a, a simple card. Again, I like the simple ones. I like that vampire that doubles. I like this dinosaur quite a lot, actually. It's Palani's Hatcher. It's three red-green for a 5-3 dinosaur. Other dinosaurs you control have haste, and it brings tokens. So we're, we're already thinking Regisaur Alpha, but this one gives you a little bit more. So Palani's Hatcher enters and brings two dinosaur eggs. Those are zero one one green dinosaur egg creature tokens. At the beginning of combat on your turn... If you control one or more eggs, you can sacrifice one egg to create a 3-3 dinosaur creature token. So hopefully this lives to combat. You pre-combat, play your five, tap this, get two eggs, go to combat, you get a 3-3. That's eight power, six toughness, two bodies. The 3-3 has haste. And you have an extra dinosaur coming next turn. So you're looking at 11 power, nine toughness, three bodies. I mean... That's, this is a, just an insane amount of value. You call this Registrar Alpha at home. Isn't this way better than Registrar Alpha? So Registrar Alpha was what, a 5-mana 4-4 four, four that made a 3-3? Three, three? Correct. But it made the 3-3, three, three, right? So if you if I kill this before combat, then you don't get any 3-3s. Three, you just have two eggs. Is that right? Correct, but I'll get another Hatcher next turn, and I'll crack them eventually. You, oh, you will? I will. <laughs> oh, you're just, you're just drawing another one, or what's what's happening here? Sure, why not? Are there other eggs that are that exist for this thing to flip? Like, is golden egg the artifact? Is that an egg? Or is that just food? Mm, there's mysterious egg, smoldering egg, dragon egg. Uh, the dragon kami reborn makes an egg. No, there's not very many eggs. <laughs> Bioloom egg. Well, that's kind of interesting. When you sacrifice Bioloom Egg, it comes back transformed as a 4-4. Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> I mean, you point to our Sahili Rai into Registrar lines. Yeah, that's fine. I guess I'm just really worried that this has 3 Toughness. We just talked about how 3 Toughness was a card we were concerned on our 4-drop. This is a whole extra mana. And if it dies, it doesn't do very much. It just makes eggs. And we don't have any other like use for them. Well... Not yet, but we can figure that out. I mean, I'm sure we can figure out a use for dinosaur eggs. Eventually, we will like swap them with a velociraptor for our freedom off the island. <laughs> Imagine that uh, I had the roaming throne into this. So I play my hatcher. I get four eggs. I go to combat. I sack two eggs, right? Now I've got six power attacking right there. Yeah, now we're talking. I like, I like what I'm hearing right now. So I have between Sahili and Roaming Throne, I have a bunch of access to this like double hatcher effect. I think it's powerful. The Sahili line is 16 power attacking. If it's better than Registrar Alpha, that's interesting. Those Sahili decks were always like close, it felt like. Um, it does feel like we probably have better mana now with the new Fastland, so maybe it's a thing we can do. Chariot into this, like this upgrades the Chariot token, so I, I, I like it, personally. 
Yeah, just man, five drops are tough. That's that's kind of the problem. Like the thing is, like chariot always seemed like the best way to go. So maybe the Sahili line just needed to play tortoise instead of any five drop dinosaurs. <laughs> Which tortoise? The three three. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give that thing haste. I just see. quadruple ramp. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, we can do that too. All right, moving on. What's next? Um, we can briefly talk about Magmatic Galleon, three red, red. It enters the battlefield, deals five damage to target creature and opponent controls. And then whenever one or more creatures your opponent's controller dealt excess non-combat damage, create a treasure token. Crew two for a five, five. It's just worse than Sky Sovereign, but I think in standard, maybe they can actually make a Grease Fang list now. This is kind of a cool card to Grease Fang back. It kills more things. I mean, this, this actually kills Shale Sky Sovereign does not. It gives you a treasure in most instances. So I'm not convinced that it's worse than Sky Sovereign, but okay, it's red, so it's much more limited. Also, Sky Sovereign has flying. <laughs> kills Karn when it comes into play, which is a huge thing. Mm. Oh, this only kills creatures. Also, with Grease Fang, Sky Sovereign does kill Shieldred. <sighs> okay, fine. All right, fair enough. Any interest in the Bat God? I'm actually surprised by how bad it is. So three black black for a four, four flying lifelink. That's a bad card. When it attacks, each opponent discards a card for each opponent who can't, you draw a card. So it has to attack to do anything. And then whenever an opponent discards a land card, it can be to any effect. Create a one, one black bat creature token with flying. Uh, when it dies, return to the battlefield tapped and transformed. So the land is temple of the dead. Tap for a black two and a black transform temple of the dead. Activate. Only if a player has one or fewer cards in hand. So it's the easiest to flip back. It requires very little. You can just play out all your resources and then it's like, you know, Castle Lockthwain instead of drawing a card, you just put a 4 4 elemental with lifelink in play. But man, all the other text until we got there was horrifically poor. So I, I don't think you can do this. I guess if they're going to make these mythic cycles of impressive cards, it's. It's for the best that some of them are only really functional in multiplayer. We can't have them all mucking with constructed. This is probably very good in commander, but it's not not useful for us. It's not even good in commander. It's like, everyone's got a million cards in there. Yeah, I was gonna like, I don't know anything about commander, but I'm not sure they're that excited about playing an air elemental. <laughs> People just get mad when you make them discard. Anyway, perhaps the green god is where we should be looking. O'Hare Kaslan, deepest growth, three green, green, legendary god, six, five, trample. Whenever O'Hare Kaslan deals combat damage to a player, reveal that many cards from the top of your library. You may put a creature card and or a land card from among them onto the battlefield, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. When it dies, it comes back tapped and transformed. That's a temple of cultivation that taps for a green or you flip it back to the god by paying two in a green and only do that if you control 10 or more permanents. What do you think? So O'Hare has to be the one dealing the combat damage. Um, that's not good. Right? So it's like somehow even worse than an attack trigger. You have to survive a turn, connect with O'Hare. When you connect, I mean, you get a lot of stuff, but you don't get that much stuff. You only get to look at the number of damage it does, too. So if they block with a five toughness creature, yeah. you just look at your top card. Yeah. Yeah, I'm off it. This doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Moving on. What's next? <laughs> so yeah, the God cycle kind of weak again. They've been really struggling to make these legendary cycles like matter at all. Well, I think that's maybe not true. We like we like the red one quite a lot. I think the red one's very good. I like the blue one. <laughs> you were being mean to it. Well, I didn't know about that adventure line. Now I'm interested. I'm mm. looking at the red virtue for the adventure line, the virtue that uh, turns all your damage into card draw. And the front half is a shock or two or a stomp. Oh, yeah. And then the back side is that enchantment that lets, lets you just draw a million cards whenever you damage them. Anyway, yeah, that, that's cool. But um, two out of five ain't bad, I think. <laughs> Meatloaf has spoken. <laughs> All right, plowing through the fives here. Unstable Glyph Bridge, three white white. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, for each player choose a creature with power two or less that player controls, then destroy all creatures except creatures chosen this way. So basically each opponent, each player gets to keep a two or less power creature. You get to pick the creature for your opponent. Craft with artifact, three white, white, exile this, etc. It comes back as a 5-3 golem with flying. Whenever an opponent casts a spell during their turn, they can't attack you or planeswalkers. Each opponent who attacked you or a planeswalker can't cast spells. I think this is the only craft card I'm kind of interested in at least fooling around with. I just, I don't get it. It's 10 mana to do that, right? Five to cast this for uncertain benefits. Is that front side effect even good? Well, I like that you can play like Weaponsmith into this. So it's like a three mana wrath that leads your Weaponsmith around. Hmm. All right. So I'm proactively wrathing in my Weaponsmith deck. I guess that's fine. I guess that's not a huge bummer. <laughs> All right. And the backside. So this creature, are these effects actually translating into cards or are they just like slowing the opponent down a little bit? Well, it's also a 5-3 flyer. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> After we just wrath their board and left them with a Llanowar Elf or whatever. This one's a little too big brain for me, but uh, I'm encouraged that you're seeing some potential here. All right. Maybe you'll like this guy. Queen's Bay Paladin. Oh, yes. <laughs> Three black, black, five, four. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, again, the Titan trigger, return up to one target vampire card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. You lose life equal to its mana value. Okay, so th this seems very, very good. Almost better than Champion of Dusk. You can't play too many fives, right? As we've seen with uh, Evelyn the Covetous, um, with Champion of Dusk, there's, there's only so many of these gigantic things you can put in your vampire deck. But if I'm correct that the blood letter of Aklazots is just going to be like this terrifying must-kill creature, then it's almost like that puts itself in the graveyard because they must kill it. And then the Queen's Bay Paladin gets it back. It gets it back many times, right? Enters the battlefield or attacks so that you, you can get back your demon vampire thing that flies. You can then, on the next attack, get back whatever you chucked to the Sorin. I think this is super good. Yeah, the only weakness it really has is Soren on three into this isn't actually that good because it doesn't do anything when it comes into play. So I think you want more proactive plays, but it's definitely like a card that should be in every Soren list, I think, in some number. Is it going to be two? Is it going to be three? Yeah. That assumes there's no vampire in the graveyard, but Blood Tithe Harvester goes to the graveyard. Insolent Neonate if you want to get really frisky with it. Well, we will be playing mono black <laughs> and for... <laughs> You think so? Yeah, Muta Vaults. We're, aren't we playing the one black, black, black guy? I was really excited about how sweet that guy was. 
Well, yeah, we can splash. It's not that hard. <laughs> I'm not splashing in my black, like black, black for insulin neonates. Not even like that back hard. Queen Bay Paladin. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> this also does cost you a good chunk of life if it's too big of a creature. So you don't want to get too like reanimate happy. I'm hoping to get back like the one, one vampire that draws a card and loses a life. Which one is that? Oh, Dusk Legion Zealot. Yeah, there you go. Or like the two, three with death touch that gains two life. Soren takes care of all of this. Like, it's all taken care of. It's, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> but I'm just saying, the, the curve you want is turn three Soren into a powerful vampire. Yes. The specific curve of Soren into this is not that good, but this is good every other turn after that. Mm. Maybe the best of all of the expensive vampires every other turn after that. Even if I'm not getting a vampire back, I still think that the ramp is worth it. That's still a good tempo play. I think that the Blood Tithe Harvester is worth doing, despite the meta concerns. And if I can find like one more vampire that is likely to be in the graveyard by that turn, which I'm not quite sure what it is. Like maybe it's the Voldaren Thrill Seeker. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like I can find it. <laughs> Eventually I'll find it. Godspeed. All right, we've finished the fives. We move on. We're so close now. Move on to the sixes. We're going to skip the white god. Uh, that's going to be a very, very expensive card. It triples tokens, but I don't think that's relevant for constructed. Instead, we pick up with the trumpeting carnosaur. Yeah, four red, red, trample, seven, six. When it enters the battlefield, discover five. So six mana for seven, six trample is probably, that's like a five mana ability. Discover five is probably going to get you about two mana. So you're getting about seven mana for your six mana spell. And it has another ability, two and a red, discard it. It deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. I think this discard ability is really good. I love it in fires lists because it doesn't take up a spell for fires. It also lets you interact on their turn. It lets you kill Greasefang on their turn, for instance, which is something fires lists really struggle to do. Um... It's a super value card, like it's a card you could play in a Urian Fire Shell if you wanted, because every time this comes into play, it discovers five. I, I This is like the better, I don't know that we've seen a better dinosaur. I didn't really process that last ability until you just read it just now. Um, this is stunningly freaking good. Uh, I, I got stuck on the fact that the Discovery 5 is an ETB, and it's not gated like the Bloodbraid Elf that Bloodbraid Elf, Geological Appraiser, said, if you cast it, you discover three. This one does not say that, right? This one gets you the discover no matter what. You can blink it. You could discover over and over again. But more importantly, I mean, the natural curve of discard, it's got a self-discard outlet. This is just a stunning reanimation target, isn't it? It's like a pioneer Archon of Cruelty almost that self-discards. I don't know about Archon of Cruelty, but yes, it, it, it has a natural. The problem is there's no four-mana reanimation effect, but... Uh, I think we're pretty close to that now. They're they're going to give it to us if they haven't given it to us already. But we don't have it now. <laughs> right now, if, if you told me to make a deck, I could not find a four-mana card that puts us into play. That's all I'm saying. You sure about that? Wasn't there just one in the last set that we talked about? It was like a Blood for Bones type card. Um, I haven't been playing that card, so I don't know. Maybe I just missed the memo. Um... Okay, so then there's this question of ETB Discover 5 is, I think, the most powerful ETB in Pioneer, apart from Atraxa. I don't know if you agree with that. The most abusable as well. Uh, what do you mean by abusable? Like, it's just, like, very likely to just snowball and keep fueling itself. Okay, it's, maybe it's not as powerful as 
the Green Cavalier. It's just like, this is very, very strong. Green Cavalier? What are you talking about? <laughs> the the best come into play abilities are... Uh, Traxa is, yes, one of them. Yes. The Green Cavalier is not on the list of any of these effects, so I don't know what that's talking about. The problem is you have to, you have to build your deck very strangely. You pointed out to me that the bigger the Discover cost, the worse it is, you keep saying. Correct. Because you, I don't get, I don't get a lot of control. So we're hoping to hit five drops or four drops or whatever. Are you saying we can build a deck that is like artificially uh, pushed high on the curve for our discover abilities? So we're hitting more no. powerful cards. Oh, okay. I don't think you need that. I mean, I think it's just like very, very, very good. Yeah, it's a bummer if it hits a land or elf, but if it, if it just draws a fatal push, that's not such a bad thing. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah, this card this card is very good. I it does is it in a fires list? Is it in a reanimator list? Is it in a dinosaur list? Uh, it can be literally any or all of those things. Like cards that are flexible on the lower end of the curve that also give you huge payoffs on the top end of the curve. We just talked about how counter spells aren't super common anymore. It's also somehow like a big beater that's really good against spirits. It interacts with those creatures. They can't counter spell uh, this effect. It's the dinosaur you would play in that. Um... Sahili's Lattice deck we were talking about where that thriller possibility is meant to enable some kind of reanimation and then you want a dinosaur to like make your seven power thing and this is a, this is that dinosaur I don't know this is this is very high on my list one of the top cards in the set for Pioneer I think in terms of likely to result in something new and exciting and powerful yeah I mean like I said, I think it's the best dinosaur. It also works really well with the one red uh, dinosaur card we talked about. Like if this comes into play, now your one mana effect does seven damage to any creature. <laughs> Crazy efficient. Wait, which card? Chomp or whatever the hell it's called. Oh, yeah, that's true. And again, like imagine playing this into the chomp. This is already in play. So it's like a freakish flame tongue kabu. Right, like ignoring any kind of shenanigans, just as a curve topper, this is terrifying. Like this is a very terrifying curve topper. Um, reminds me of enlisted worm, but it actually has a good type. Yeah, I guess when I say that out loud, that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a little underselling it. I, I think that I think that the avenues we just discussed, though, yes. this is a dinosaur that pays you off for the the stomp the chomp card. This is a card that works really well in Fire's List. This is a card that works really well as a reanimator. And then you have to have a reason to not be playing ramp in green. And this is much more of like a value type of shell. So can you construct a list that is explaining why you aren't playing, you know, Lanowar Elf into Kiora into, you know, look at your top six cards and put, you know, two five drops into play. This is the kind of card that at least suggests a different type of shell. If we find the other Blood for Bones, let me know. <laughs> it's on curve to uh, put this into play on turn four. I'm looking for it right now. I have not found it yet. I will find it, though. I, I believe I will find it. Anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> Chimiel the Inner Sun. Six for a legendary artifact. Spells you control can't be countered. Beginning of your end step, discover five. That is it. All right, well, we just heard from you. Discover 5 is one of the most powerful come-into-play abilities in the entire format. 
This does nice. it every turn. End of turn is almost coming to play. Not exactly, but with an artifact, it's close. It's pretty close. Spells you control can't be countered as kind of flavor text because I'm resolving a six-mana artifact that does this, so I don't know when my opponent just chooses to let this resolve with counter spells in hand. I, you know, I don't think that really matters, but <laughs> the, the ability at the end is really fascinating. So we're basically playing a six-mana artifact, and it draws us a card and gives us, I don't know, two and three-quarter mana or whatever you want to call it, a turn. That's pretty good. So how am I getting this into play is the question. You've experimented a lot with Redown Weaponsmith, just like artifact mana, let's do it. Yeah. They gave us, what was that one on a white thing we were just talking about? The Foundry something? Yep. Now, very worth noting, Discover 5 with these cards in your deck sucks really bad. Like that's one of the problems with all these Discover cards. We play these very, you know, situationally weak cards that help us play these cards. And then we discover into them later. Discovering into a weaponsmith is terrible on turn five or whatever. Um, I like the power stone generator, the two in a blue, draw two, discard a card, put a power stone into play. Yeah. It's okay. So power stones just naturally cast these things. That's good. Yeah. Ah, gosh. <laughs> okay. It's interesting. I'm again drawn to Metalwork Colossus. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I just, the discover five every turn is, is interesting. Like we've, there's a lot of six mana cards that draw a card every turn. This draws the same turn you play it because it's end step and it gives you mana back. However much mana that is, you know, I, I, we'd have to run the numbers, but you're going to get like draw a card, make three mana a turn. That's really good. Comparing this to portal of Phyrexio, I guess that one is like guaranteed. This is not guaranteed to actually help you. Um, doesn't Correct. stabilize in the same way. And you really don't want to play counter spells in a deck that's playing the inner sun. Okay. So yeah, it's a very powerful effect. We just talked about how much we liked it on the dinosaur. We just have to figure out how we're casting this and are those cards weakening our discover hit so much that maybe it isn't that powerful an effect. All right. There is a cycle of uh, basic cyclers. They're all dinosaurs. They all cost two. So if, if we've seen the um, astonishing impact that like all font and uh, troll of Casa Doom had on modern just being a, a one mana cycler at two mana. Are you interested? They don't in pioneer. They're not basic land cyclers. They're basic land type cyclers. Correct. Yes. Which is quite a bit better. Um, my instinct is that no, I'm not interested, but it's possible. I'm just underrating them. I just think like I'd have to think of the shell. It does let you play a lot more colors, but this is a clunky thing to be doing on turn two. Right. Like you got to be setting up for some kind of, I, I guess, living. I guess this dinosaur reanimation too. If we're all like, <laughs> if we think that's a thing with the Sahili, I, I don't know. It's hard to imagine spending two mana to do that and like not being hopelessly behind, especially if you're getting a triome that's going to be tapped next turn. Uh, gosh. Okay. It's good to know that they're there, though. Like, and to your point, yeah. can you build reanimation type of effects around it? Maybe. The, the cards are all also, like, cost very weak. I think there's going to be, like, critical limited cards and then maybe have some, like, fringe constructed implications. All right. The last card that I want to talk about is... This is the last card, this is the last card we're going to talk about. I will give you the floor. It is Gargantuan Leech. It's seven and a black... 5-5 five, five lifelink costs one less to cast for each cave you control and each cave in your graveyard. 
okay, we, we know that the caves deck has been tuned for standard. <laughs> it's not going to rotate for three years, but so maybe I'm getting my hopes up too much, but the, the payoffs in the uncommon slot are this, there's a back cave. There's a, there's a six drop that we just skipped over that draws two cards essentially. It's actually quite good, um, but I don't want to pay six mana for it. Sinuous Benthosaur is what it's called. This one, however, Affinity for Caves in Graveyard and in Play triggers up the Beanstalk, which I'm also interested in. It has Lifelink to make up for all of the turns that I wasted playing games <laughs> and doing mana confluence. I love this kind of deck that kind of has an incoherent plan to eventually win with some random payoffs. Well, clear your mind. Just we're not, we're not talking about caves anymore. Yes. I'm asking you how much mana you want to pay for a 5-5 five, five lifelink. Two. But if it's drawing a card with Beanstalk, I'll pay three. <laughs> okay. So now the question becomes, can we make this cost three mana in a reasonable turn cycle? Because the longer you wait, the less a 5-5 five, five matters. Hmm. Because this, this will never cost three on turn three. We agree with that. Correct. Yeah, I want to spend my mana getting caves for the most part. I just want this to clean up afterwards. Maybe that's too late in the game. I don't know. Were you really into the gate deck? What is, or is the cave thing? <laughs> I feel like it's a bit. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening here. <laughs> well, first of all, the gates actually come into play tapped. The caves do not. The gates did not really have a... I mean, they only had one payoff creature that had cost reduction. It just wasn't very good. They had the ram. They had the gates of blaze. The ram was good. There's an equivalent card to gates of blaze. You made me skip it. It was four mana, not three mana. Just so we're clear. <laughs> just so we are absolutely clear. <laughs> it had the blue enchantment to draw cards. The gatebreaker colossus or whatever was yeah. just like a little a bit too small. Right. This one has lifelink. So anyway. I'll be messing around. It's possible that none of these leeches or bat caves make the final list, but I do think that there's something there with caves. The gates list has actually five out in pioneer. So the gauntlet has been thrown to the cave list. I'm here for it. All right. So we can come to the end of our two part set review coming up on hour five. Any predictions, any favorites? Um, I'll have to sit down and kind of look at it in my mind's eye. I mean, the card that I'm really excited to cast is Malcolm, the 2-1 Flash Pirate. I'm really excited for Breaches to not be good enough, but to like have a bunch of sweet turns. Um, I'm excited for maps to not be very good, but I will be playing a ton of them. Um, I got to think about all the other cards. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. For me, uh, I mean, Helping Hand, we've already found that very generative in terms of ideas who knows if that's actually good uh trumpeting carnosaur is one that i'm perhaps too high on but i think it's very very good uh the vampire that doubles um i like enigma jewel a lot i like Tyrion's journal there's just so much going on here uh and yeah like multiple crab vine cards for modern doubtful that they're gonna stick around long term but i will be trying both souls of the lost and whale of the departed and we'll i'll let you know Oh, I'm excited about that skeleton card, whatever it is. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Corpus of the Lost. So kudos to the designers. Another awesome set. Yeah, I have like 10 or 12 decks built already, so I'll have to post them at some point as like first draft ideas. There are no cave decks. We're leaving that space open for Dan. All right. I accept. All right, David. So that's going to do it for us for our 
Brewer's Guide to the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. We'll pick up soon. Uh, time to start brewing and get in the queues. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. All right. Take care.